So, Kevin, did you watch the end, or I guess any portion, of the Pacers-76ers game? I did, yeah. That was a... Um, boy, that was such a great fourth quarter for 11 minutes and 20 seconds, and then quite the dreadful finish there in the final 40 seconds. And I guess you could throw overtime a little bit in there, but, you know, it's funny, Jake. I, I'm sitting there watching that game, and I'm thinking... This is the exact type of loss that in October, 80-some percent of the fan base would have said, Woo! Entertaining loss on the road. Here we go. That's exactly what we want. But yet the season has unfolded in a way that, like, I I don't hear any of that chatter. Yeah, it was, like, disappointing, right? Yeah. And and so I guess that's that's a credit to the Pacers and kind of the culture that they have created this season. But, um, yeah, to see Andrew Nemhard and Tyrese Halliburton, two guys that you trust with the basketball a ton, make those plays late was pretty pretty unusual. That's the thing is I thought it was – Mixed emotions, right? Because as I was watching that game, and they were, you know, at one point I looked on the floor on on television, obviously, and like, man, look at the age of these guys. You know, I'm I'm looking at the floor and I'm like, okay, Halliburton, uh, you know, what what's this like his fourth year in the league? Well, what you had three guys close the game that yeah. can't drink. Nimhard, yeah, I, totally right. I mean, it's crazy, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, these guys are making plays. I guess Nimhard's probably old enough he can drink. But down the stretch, though, Kevin, the fact that, and I know that, and I, I try to avoid ever being this guy because I, I kind of roll my eyes at it 99 percent of the time. But when people are like the officials cost him that game, I try to. That's not the case, but. There were some questionable calls that, or non-calls, that's probably a better way of saying it, down the stretch that I think hurt them. Like Benedict Matherin late in the game with a chance to take the game, and he kind of got pushed by Harden. He gets that call in another two years. Right. But he doesn't now. And so you just go, okay. And you... Yeah, but, I'm not ref guy either, but I thought they got kind of a poor whistle there late. Did. And, of course, we'll get the great two-minute report to clear everything up here later today on that end. And, yeah, it was something I tweeted out last night. It's something we, we can get more into later today, Jake. It's pretty remarkable to me how frequently Benedict Matherin gets to the foul line. Yeah. I mean, it is a, a lot last night. It is a really high – he's averaging like over six foul shots per game. And he's coming off the bench and doing that. He's a rookie doing that. And, like, name me the last pacer that attacked the rim like him. Boy, yeah, that's that's a good question there. Uh, Jalen Rose, maybe? I, I was going to say, like, Oladipo, I don't think, did it to this extent. Like, getting to the foul line, as routinely as Matherin does. Paul George is more of a perimeter guy. I mean, right. he certainly got to the foul line. But, again, you, you, you got to go way back to find that. And I think that's such an important ingredient for the Pacers to have and something they haven't had in quite... A while. Good Thursday morning to you, Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton. Uh, tonight we've got a lot of Big Ten hoops here locally. Ironically, both Indiana and Purdue slight road underdogs. I saw plus one and a half for each of them. Indiana's at Iowa tonight. Again, our coverage over on WIBC begins at 8 o'clock, and Purdue is at Ohio State. That tip is at 7 o'clock. Um, I think in their own different ways, Jake, really curious to see how both Mike Woodson and Matt Painter's bunch uh, handle tonight. Will yeah, you know, let's begin with Purdue. I, you know, Ohio State is, you know, 10-3. and three. They're 2-0 and oh in the league. 
ranked in the top 25. But we haven't talked a lot about Ohio State, right? I mean, but still, I I always felt like that's just a tough place to play. I, you know, to go there, and if Purdue can, can get a win tonight, that'll be – and listen, they, they've already accumulated some really impressive wins this year, and they're obviously very, very good. But how do they bounce back after their first disappointment of the year, right? That's, that's going to be interesting for them. And then Indiana and Iowa, you know, we know Iowa's now without their third-leading score. Um. But Indiana, Trace Jackson Davis also, you know, dealing with that that back injury. No Xavier Johnson. I think you said yesterday, Kevin, you made a really good point. You know, from here out, it's about the distribution balance, but the scoring efficiency and the shooting efficiency of Hood Shafino as right. well, right? Yeah, I think how he handles the ball, how he distributes that balance is obviously going to be extremely critical. You know, we saw him against Elon and Kennesaw State struggle uh, in the efficiency area from the assist-turnover ratio. Tamar Bates will be in the starting lineup, uh, so that is a change there with Trey Galloway going to the bench. And we just haven't seen Indiana play in a while. Um, and Trace Jackson Davis, I, I fully understand he's battled injuries th- this season, but boy, could Indiana really use him upping his level of play. Now the Big Ten season is fully underway. So again, 7 o'clock tonight for Purdue. Someone other than Zach Eady stepping up on the road will be something to keep an eye on there. And then, of course, 9 o'clock from Iowa City. I think that's the 36th year in a row Indiana's played at Iowa at 9 o'clock on a Thursday night. Um, by the way, for those that are just waking up and are curious, uh, overnight there was no update on DeMar Hamlin. I believe the latest update came from the Buffalo Bills did issue a statement about him yesterday. Yeah, not a ton of detail in that one. You know, I, I think it's interesting that this is unusual, I guess. I, you know, not that there's any right or wrong by any stretch, but a lot of times in these situations, there's like a designated point person on who's going to, and usually it's the team or the hospital. I think it's, and again, I want to make clear, I'm not complaining of this at all. But I don't think we've ever seen a statement from the hospital, correct? I can't recall anything. At the hospital, his uncle has spoken. Um, his agent, his marketing agent, has spoken as well. Yeah, but yesterday's update around 1 o'clock from the Bills. This would be 1 in the afternoon. Tomorrow remains in the ICU in critical condition with signs of improvement noted yesterday and overnight. He's expected to remain under intensive care as his health care team continues to monitor and treat him. It seems like small steps in the right direction, uh, which obviously is the only thing we we really care about at this point. Yesterday, you started to see Buffalo and Cincinnati, their football teams, get back to a bit of normalcy. Buffalo held a walkthrough, uh, no media availability. Cincinnati, I think, held a practice. Zach Taylor did meet the media. I did find it interesting, Jake. I think a lot has been made, or maybe just more curiosity, what was that Zach Taylor, Sean McDermott interaction like on the field? Right. And basically what Zach Taylor said is he came over to Sean McDermott on the visiting sideline and said, what do you need from us? We're the home team here. This is at our stadium. What can we do to help you? Uh, because I think a lot of people thought Zach Taylor came over there and said, we shouldn't be playing this game. Zach Taylor explained it as he offered that question to Sean McDermott. And Sean McDermott looked at him and said, I need to be at the hospital. I don't need to be here. And that is, I think, when you saw the two teams disperse into their respective locker rooms 
Um, and then, of course, the game was eventually postponed. Week 18 remains on schedule. That includes Cincinnati and Buffalo. We'll obviously continue to monitor that, but, I mean, it's Thursday morning, Jake. I, I, it sounds like Week 18 will go on, and the Buffalo-Cincinnati game will not be resumed, and it'll be win percentages that will decide the AFC pecking order in the playoffs. I, I think that we forget, Kevin, and by the way, the Bills yesterday, uh, totally secondarily, you almost feel bad. Uh, Jared Maiden was signed to the Buffalo roster yesterday as a safety Hmm. obviously they needed you know they've got to sign someone right well uh, they had another defensive back get hurt on to make room for the move uh the bills released xavier rhodes former colt Hmm. yesterday but if you were to go with win percentage and i i totally understand it and again we're talking strictly in the if the football side of things here the the thing that you forget, Kevin, is that there are other implications in terms of the seeding, perhaps, or the the like tiebreakers for the NFL. Because, for example, a Baltimore or you know strength of schedules of the other opponents are now affected by the lack of games that Cincinnati and Buffalo have versus everyone else. I mean, there's kind of ripple effects of all of yeah. them. Yeah, Baltimore's probably the team most affected. Yeah. If they were to beat Cincinnati on Sunday and Cincinnati would have lost to the Bills on Monday night, Baltimore would win the AFC North. They would get a home game. As of now, Sunday's almost a mute point for them. Yeah, and if you're Buffalo, I mean, it's not like you're going to... I mean, excuse me, if you're Baltimore, it's not like you're going to be like, hey, this is ridiculous. You yeah. have to play. John Harbaugh, I don't think, is going to be standing on a table um, right. for that in any sort of press conference setting. So, again, we got two Saturday games. That's Kansas City and the Raiders Saturday afternoon, and then at night, you've got Jacksonville and Tennessee. Tennessee took the approach of, we're resting everybody in Week 17, including Derrick Henry. Uh, that is a win, and you are the AFC South champion and will host a playoff game. Probably you'll host one of those AFC North teams in Baltimore, most likely, uh, coming up in the playoffs. Uh, we're going to have Scott Agnes, as Scott said, or as uh, Jake said, uh, coming up at 8.30. Zach Kiefer at 9 o'clock. Something I want to talk with Zach Kiefer about, Jake. Are Jeff Saturday and Chris Ballard close? Boy. I have no idea, actually. You know? And I, I, I don't have a great answer for you on that front. I mean, you, it, by all accounts... By all accounts, they wouldn't have really had any relationship at all other than peripheral, right? I think a little bit just from that consulting role. No, I mean, not an yeah, immense fair. amount, but you know, they did try to hire Jeff Saturday on a couple of occasions. Um, so I think there's a relationship there. But again, it's not... I, mean, <laughs> Chris, I don't believe Chris Ballard wanted Jeff Saturday as interim head coach. So is that kind of a layer to this we haven't really discussed a lot that deserves some attention on it? And and I was reminded of this by Bob Kravitz yesterday. You go back to that opening press conference, the Jeff Saturday, I guess, opening press conference, and Saturday had some phrase in there of like, I may be terrible at this, and after eight games I'll say, God bless you, I'm no good, and leave. If you look at the seven-game results, it's hard to use a word other than terrible the Colts have played under Jeff Saturday. I, again, fully acknowledge he was thrown into a very, very difficult situation. But if you were going to describe the Colts under Jeff Saturday in those seven games, terrible would be a proper adjective to use. Do you think it's possible 
that Chris Ballard and and Jeff Saturday are quote unquote close only because Chris Ballard is a smart enough guy to know that he didn't really have a choice but to be close to Jeff Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how your brain works there. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's kind of like you having to like me. It's a fair statement, certainly. I know. Actually, I texted Chris about that the other day. I still haven't heard back from him on that front. I was like, hey. You told him you, you can relate. I thought we could have some therapy. So I promise I won't ask you about whiteouts. You know, will you, you, you want to meet up for coffee in Westfield? Uh, so the Colts did get back to practice yesterday. Um, Kenny Moore went on injured reserve, uh, ending his season. He missed five games this year. Has not played in several weeks. I would put him on the trade candidate list coming up this offseason, considering how his contract situation played out. And he did not necessarily back up his no, demands. Right? No, I, I think that is a accurate statement there. Uh, I do think it's worth noting... Um, I think we briefly mentioned this earlier in the week. Uh, Rodney Thomas II, the rookie out of Yale, uh, a year behind DeMar Hamlin at Central Catholic in Pittsburgh. Obviously, two defensive backs as well. Uh, I'm always unsure, Jake, when you see like guys that are high school teammates of each other or college teammates of each other. I think we always make the, oh yeah, they got to be best friends. Right. It seems like these two are best friends. Uh, Rodney Thomas spoke yesterday to the media and said that he talks to DeMar Hamlin on a daily basis and that when he was watching on Monday night, he left the room briefly. And next thing you know, he comes back and his father is FaceTiming him like, did you see what happened? And they get on FaceTime together. They pretty much kind of, I guess, cope, for lack of a better word, with each other as they watch DeMar, um, you know, have CPR you know, ministered to him and the ambulance to the local hospital there in Cincy. And Rodney Thomas said, I got to go. And next thing you know, Rodney Thomas by himself, which I don't know how I would be emotionally by himself drives down I-74 to Cincinnati, gets there late Monday night, was allowed to go into the hospital, was allowed to go into the room. If he was allowed to go in the room, that shows you he's got to be super tight with him, right? Right. Um, said he, you know, touched Demar's hand and, and just, spoke some words to um, one of his best friends and um, it was very very moving to be honest with you listening to Rodney Thomas yesterday it was in a I thought just an incredible amount of emotion and stoic nature at the same time which for a 22 year old I guess he went to Yale so maybe I shouldn't be too impressed or too shocked I should say by it but still just because you have incredible intellect doesn't mean that you know that aspect of your life you're able to handle I thought as extremely well as he did and you know I kind of walked away from that scrum and I thought to myself Jake I think Rodney Thomas should wear number three on Sunday for DeMar Hamlin honor him right yeah I wasn't sure exactly how he sh- how he will do that the only number three the Colts have is a practice squad running back name escapes me right now wear number three and for a game that doesn't have a lot of oomph behind it I think Rodney Thomas pulling in an interception will be a pretty cool moment on Sunday. How do you think the crowd will be on Sunday? It's a great question. Um, I think you'll see a lot of bags over the head. Really? I think we saw some of that, actually, at the Chargers game. (laughs) I I always always kind of like those. No, I don't, actually. So, my buddy... Tom Savage, who grew up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Texans quarterback at once. So that's correct, yes. 
different Tom Savage. So my buddy Tom Savage grew up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which obviously no NFL team there, right? Mark, I don't think we've heard the name Tom Savage. That'd be one of the bingo no. cards like you got to fill your whole card on. <laughs> Was that a birthday invite? Was he at the birthday? Well, he lives in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. He could still make the flight. True. I was going to say, if he really cared, he'd be there. Um, but Tom grew up there and, you know, he lived in Indy for a while. That's how obviously I met him. And he lived in Indy during the Super Bowl between the Colts and the New Orleans Saints. And he is a diehard Saints fan. Which, imagine living in Indy during that Super Bowl, right? Like, I remember when the... He was like, yeah, it was terrible. Like, the, the Saints won the Super Bowl, and I wanted to go out and celebrate, but they beat the Colts. So, like, everywhere I went, people were, like, drinking away their sorrows. But that began... He is a diehard Saints fan because when he was a kid... The Chiefs were kind of the popular team, or the Vikings, one of those two, in his area. But he was watching football on a Sunday with his dad. You know, his dad's introduced him to football. And they were showing highlights of other games, and all the fans in New Orleans were wearing bags over their heads. And he's like, why are they wearing bags over their face? And his dad said, well, they call themselves the Aints, because they say they ain't going to win another game. That Okay, that that's where it is. And so he said, well, that's a team that needs a fan. I'll be a fan without wearing a bag over my head. So he became a Saints fan, and has been a fan ever since. And that's Tommy Savage. That's right. It all began with seeing it. You know, back in the when Howard Cosell on Monday night or whatever would give your halftime reviews of the games on Sunday. This from Carlton. Yeah, I don't see you on the top of Chris Ballard's list to do therapy with. <laughs> a bit harsh from Carlton probably accurate on that um i something i do want to get to today jake and i i don't know maybe this is too positive so if you don't feel like it's necessary but i've got about a handful of colts that i think they should feel really really proud about their individual seasons okay i think we've been properly critical enough uh let's give 10 or 15 minutes today to some colts that i think deserve individual mention in a positive manner for their seasons Heading into Sunday, uh, did you see the uh, Hall of Fame finalists last night? Now, how many of those? So, of the finalist list, and I've got them all. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Is that right? Thirteen finalists. Is it just thirteen? For some reason, I thought they'd usually do fifteen. Uh, maybe I missed a couple, but they take how many of that? I always forget. We need you to come over and help Rosie with her counting. By the <laughs> way, after that nice performance there, uh, five, five. Class of 2023 will be five people. Um, yeah, there's 15, by the way. Okay. By the mm. way, Jay- Jason points out to me. We might need a new counter then for Rosie. <laughs> well, this is just what I wrote down. I missed him when I was writing him down. I can count him okay. But, uh, Jason points out to me, by the way, the crowd on Sunday will be there and be cheering with a little megaphone emoji. Okay. All right. It's just that there might be 35,000 of them. It's like both franchises want losses, right? I mean, all of a sudden, it's Nathan Peterman starting for the Bears. If the Bears lose and the Texans win, the Bears have the number one pick. Hell yeah! I can't believe Nathan Peterman, by the way, is the Bears' backup. Well, it was Trevor Simeon, but he has like an he has an arm injury, so they. So they long as, okay, that, that that makes me feel a little better. So long as the Bears stay at number two, in their eyes, they still have the number one pick. Does that make sense? I'll tell you why. I see what you're saying. Except for for the trade value. If the Bears stay at two, it's irrelevant to the Bears whether they're drafting two or one. Getting the number one pick for the Bears increases, I guess, the the odds. Yeah, I'd say trade value is the most important part of it. But 
so long as you know the Bears are such a wild card there. But everybody knows the Bears are not taking a quarterback. So the Bears, it doesn't matter. And not, whoever goes number one is taking a quarterback. So for the Bears, it's like, oh, okay. They're going to have the first option of the position they need. Let's put it that way. Anything stand out to you about that Hall of Fame list? I, I've got a couple that I think are definites. Uh, yeah. I think you start right with a couple first balloters. Okay. The, well, I'm not sure who, who's... Okay. Joe Thomas and Darrell Rivas mm-hmm. are easily... See, I didn't see Joe Thomas's name on the list. I was looking at that. First balloters. one of the missing. Okay, so... Do you want me to give you all 15 since I, I have them in front of well, me? Well, I've got them right here. You just tell me who I'm missing. Okay. Joe Thomas, Darrell Rivas, Dwight Freeney, Jared Allen, Willie Anderson, Rondé Barber, Devin Hester, Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson, Zach Thomas, Demarcus Ware, Reggie Wayne, Patrick Willis... And Darren Woodson. Albert Lewis is the only one you missed. Okay. He's been like 20 years removed or something. Uh, to me, Andre Johnson gets in above Reggie Wayne. Right? Uh, I I would. Ag- I don't agree with that, but I think you're right. Yeah, I'm not saying he is a right. Right, right. Pl- I'm saying he would get. It in. sounds like Reggie Wayne is not thought of as highly as we think of him inside of that room. I think that's correct. Which I think is a shame. I think there's evidence to back it up. Jake, his postseason performances is, I think, his biggest calling card for going in the Hall of Fame. If I'm not mistaken, it's like him and Jerry Rice are like the only two to have top ten in regular season and postseason. Catches. That's pretty good company for a wide receiver to be uh, in. I, the other thing about Reggie Wayne to me that I'm not going to say cemented his Final Four candidacy, but got him within for the for 80 percent of Reggie Wayne's career, his Hall of Fame candidacy would have been based upon the fact that he was a very good wide receiver and an elite level offense and a Super Bowl championship team. The last 20% of his career to me, he transitioned that into legitimate final or legitimate Hall of Fame candidacy based on the fact that he transitioned himself from a dynamic stretch receiver into an extremely reliable and professional possession receiver that extended his career and his numbers. I mean, post Marvin, he still put up some crazy Correct. numbers. Correct. I mean, even post Manning, Correct. you know, he had the and big season with Andrew Luck. And that's the other thing is I do think that once. I think that that's where people really open their eyes. You know, the Green Bay, you know, the the Chuck Pagano game, there were games that when everyone knew where the ball was going, he continued to play at a very high level. I look at Joe Thomas, I look at Darrell Rivas, think they are locks. DeMarcus Ware will probably get in. And then four and five. Jared Allen? Either Torrey Holder, Andre Johnson, and then I think Jared Allen uh, would Willie be that Willie Anderson's fifth. up there, too. I feel like he's been on the ballot for a while, though. Matt Thomas has been on the ballot for a while, right? Thing about yeah, the thing about Reggie that I'm reminded of with whiteouts. It, I mean, Marvin Harrison was on the ballot for three years. You want to talk about an utter joke, right? And I, this might be, I might be on an island with this. I think Robert Mathis is more of a deserving Hall of Famer than Dwight Freeney. Same argument as the Reggie Wayne thing. Exact same. You know, I, I, I think Marvin is more worthy than Reggie, though, in well, that but, one. But no, what I'm saying is people thought that Reggie Wayne was simply the you know benefiting from having Marvin Harrison on the field. I think people thought that Robert Mathis was benefiting strictly from having Dwight Freeney on the field. Once the first, two, the other two in those respective situations were gone, both guys elevated their game. 
I mean, once Freeney was gone, Mathis, it was like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, this guy's still playing at a high level. He led the league in sacks in 2013. You know, Mathis is the NFL's all-time leader in the strip sack. And when you think about that play in a game, I'd argue outside of a touchdown, Jake, it's the most important play in a game. You're obviously halting an opponent's drive. And you're doing it in an area of the field. Like an interception can happen 30 yards down the field. And it's obviously a big play, but still, that if you don't return it, it's a 30-yard difference. If you get a strip sack, the likelihood is you're recovering that ball in the opponent's backfield. Or you're maybe even picking it up and turning it into a bigger play. The fact that Mathis is the all-time leader in that, I mean, Freeney deserves to be in the Hall of Fame too, but I, I would argue Mathis, I think, has a stronger candidacy. You know, I don't right. expect the voters to react in that way you know my favorite local hall of fame trivia question which you will hear me ask you every single time the hall of fame comes into discussion in the entirety of the time that we do this show together right let's hear it i don't i don't think you've done it so who is the only pro football hall of famer born in indianapolis indiana it's a fabulous trivia question i would assume rod woodson was born in fort wayne i believe that's correct so that would not work there is one whose birthplace is listed as Indianapolis, Indiana. Did he go to high school here? He was born here. It'll be a while, but Zach Martin <laughs> will be on that list eventually. Again, good Thursday morning to I'll you. I'll tell you during the check down. How's that? Let's, let's, uh, I, I, I like that tease. Strong tease from you there. Uh, Scott you. Agnes, 8.30. Zach Kiefer at 9 o'clock. whole lot to get to. Again, a busy night. Big Ten wise here locally. Butler got a win last night at Hinkle. And we'll talk some Colts and Pacers as well. Kevin Corey, 93.5075, the fan. The morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at ballstatesports.com on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. As we were just talking about, the Hall of Fame finalist list is out. It includes two guys that played professionally in Indianapolis, Dwight Freeney and Reggie Wayne. Both of them hoping their name is called and they can be enshrined in Canton along with the one player who was born in Indianapolis, the fourth overall pick in the 1985 NFL draft, former Minnesota Viking Chris Dolman, Mm. whose family moved to York, Pennsylvania shortly thereafter where he attended William Penn High School before a career at the University of Pittsburgh. So there you go. Chris Dolman, who is like a totally forgotten Hall of Famer anyway. Yeah. That's why it's a great trivia question. Uh, Pacers lose last night in overtime. Kind of a crazy fourth quarter. Pacers were down big, making an extremely impressive comeback. They're up fourth, 40 seconds to go, and then just folded. Uh, and guys you want handling the ball, uh, kind of being the catalyst, unfortunately, for it. Andrew Nemhar, Tyrese Halliburton uh, could not execute like a little handoff. Easy bucket for Philly. Halliburton comes down the other end, up two. Kind of milks the clock, turns it over. Philly goes down the other end. Easy bucket. Buddy Heald gets off an errant shot to try and win the game at the end of regulation. Then the Pacers lose in overtime. Again, no Joel Embiid. I I was disappointed about that, Jake. I, I thought, just frankly, from a Miles Turner evaluation game, you circle on the calendar. We haven't seen that matchup now in either of these two meetings with Turner missing the first one and Bede missing the second one. Turner made some really, really good defensive plays down the stretch of that game. Huge to get you back in it. Huge. So 21-18 and 18 on the year of the Pacers. Here was Rick Carlisle afterwards on the defeat. We never should have been in overtime. You know, we know that. Uh, there were a couple of errors that we made. 
that uh, that we'll learn from. And so uh, it's a tough loss, but uh, I'm really proud of, of the effort and the way the guys hung in because it was it was not going particularly well, particularly defensively, and you know every, everybody just kept playing and kept giving ourselves a chance. And uh, uh, Pacers back at the field house tomorrow night. That's what his and uh there was that he was about to say. Now we go back home and we play the Portland Trailblazers Friday at the Fieldhouse. Tonight in college hoops here locally, you've got Indiana at Iowa. That's a 9 o'clock tip. You've got Purdue at Ohio State. That's a 7 o'clock tip, both of those on FS1. Uh, ironically, Jake, they're both one-and-a-half-point underdogs. If I handed you a $10 bill, you put in that on the Boilers at Ohio State or Indiana at Iowa. I would give Indiana a better chance of well, I, and that's no knock on Purdue. I think Purdue's tremendous, but I just think Ohio State's a tougher place to play than Iowa right now. I don't know, though. That's a good question. Yeah, you hear Fran start screaming. I mean, without, all of a sudden. Without Iowa, without their, you know, Patrick McCaffrey out, so their third leading score out, you know. Just don't let the other Murray brother go off for 30. I think he's a pretty good player there. But yeah, Iowa dealing with a lot right now. We haven't seen Indiana on the floor in a couple of weeks. A long, long break for them. Again, Trace Jackson Davis sounds like he'll give it a go. His health situation got back to practice this week, but still no Xavier Johnson. And for Purdue, just how they respond. Um, This is a week that they suffer their first loss on Monday. Now it's at Ohio State. You play Penn State on a neutral floor in Philly coming up on Sunday. So important week here for the Boilermakers. And in college basketball last night, Butler continued for the second straight game their tour of playing programs that were dominant in the 80s, and you wonder what the hell happened to them. <laughs> Butler 78-70, coming off their win against Georgetown. They beat DePaul last night. Uh, the Blue Demons now 7-9 and overall, 1-4 and in the league. Butler goes to 2-3 and in the Big East. They are 10-6 and overall. Eric Hunter Jr., 23. Jaden Taylor had 16. Missouri State over Evansville, 85-62. It was Northern Iowa, 69-67 over over Valpo. And Indiana State, for the second time, I think I saw in eight seasons, now 5-0 in the MoVal. They beat Illinois State, 76-67. They are 12-4 overall. Trees and Cardinals, both off to really nice starts here in the state. Eric Hunter eclipsed 1,000 points for his career last night with that career high. 23 in the Butler win. Uh, Colts news from yesterday. Really the only, I think, super noteworthy item. Kenny Moore's season is officially over. He goes on injured reserve. One year left on his contract. I think he will be a popular name this offseason when you think about potential trades. Uh, All the money of that contract is guaranteed, so I think that would be enticing from another team wanting to trade for him. Could you throw him into a package to trade up with the Chicago Bears? Are the Bears going to move that pick? Matt Eberflus, big, big Kenny Moore fan. So I think just something to keep an eye on as the offseason unfolds. Mentioned it earlier, it's been a season to forget for the Indianapolis Colts, but I think there are a few individuals that can feel good about their 2022 campaigns. We'll throw a couple names at Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
Hit you with that coming up next. Kevin and Corey. Ken Jake, it's been a season to forget for the Apple's Colts. Um, I do think there are some individuals, though, that can feel good about their own years. Before we get into that, I do want to plug what is atop your Twitter profile right now. And thank you to listener Dustin, who f- sent me a couple tickets last night to the game on Sunday, which I then forwarded on to you, Jake. And for those that have missed it, those tickets are going where? Well, the there's a program that I got involved in uh, probably about, gosh, 10 years ago uh, or so called the 100 Black Men, which is uh, a mentoring program that goes into some of the different schools for underprivileged children around Indianapolis and does a mentor program for them. And I was first introduced to it uh, gosh, again, I want to say probably 12 years ago. Uh, it's a great deal, and it's, it is all part of the United Way. And so turns out a high school classmate of mine, Joe Eldridge, is now the director of the organization. So I reached out to Joe and said, hey, if I've got tickets that I can donate, would you be able to pair a worthy student who has done a good job in school and and done the things that you guys have asked with one of the mentors or a teacher to take them to a Colts game that would normally not have the opportunity to go to a Colts game. And for a lot of these um, students, you know, they're they're boys and girls that don't have necessarily like a a real parental figure or or stability in their life. So uh, anyway, he said, absolutely. And that's what we've been doing. And they've been pairing different students with uh, an adult mentor for them to take them for an outing for the day and to go. And so it's uh, worked out very well. You can get a receipt from the United Way if necessary for your tax deduction purposes, if you'd like as well. Just specify that. But if you have tickets and you are not going to the game uh, on Sunday or not using them, you can forward them to me at my email, which is uh, jake at 1075thefan.com or the other email that also works, jakequery at me.com. That's my two favorite people, jakequery at me, me.com. And I will forward them to the United Way and then they distribute them to those kids. Again, thank you, Dustin, for doing that. And thank um, you to everybody that's done so. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I know that he's not the only one. So really appreciate people uh, thinking about that and, and then doing it and not just letting those tickets go to waste. Uh, Jake, when I throw that out at you and think of individual Colts that should feel good about their 2022 campaigns, uh, who, if any, come to mind for you? That's a good question. Um, because you know to your point it's kind of been clouded unfortunately so much by just the lackluster you know what sure I mean? and i get i mean look we have talked about the disappointment and the embarrassment of the season rightfully so a whole lot on this show but i do think and i like it i like the line of thinking i think there are some individuals that deserve i'll, I'll throw one at you to start okay this guy's gonna run out of the tunnel on sunday and he deserves a massive cheer and we had him on the show about, I guess, about two months ago. And I think people loved hearing him on the show as well. How about the year, physically and mentally, that Paris Campbell's had? Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. He's he, bounced back. He, he has made himself, um, you know, maybe not the star that they expected, but he's shown to be a very reliable and serviceable I mean, he's serviceable been player. through a lot physically in his first three years, combined to play 15 games in his first three years, and when he runs out of that tunnel Sunday afternoon, that will be 
all 17 games he has played in this year. I can only imagine, honestly, what what he is thinking and accomplishing that feat. Because at the start of the year, he probably, I mean, how many people are like, I'm done with this dude. Just cut him. We don't need him. I've seen enough. He can't stay healthy. He's fragile. He's this. He's that. And yet, he will play in all 17 games. It happens in the final year of his rookie contract. And he's a guy, Jake, that I would never have said this back in August. I'd be willing to bring him back, and I'd probably be willing to give him a multiple-year deal. You know, probably like a two-year deal. Again, you have to have some injury incentives within that. Um, It's not like he's a 1,000-yard receiver, but kudos to Paris Campbell because I thought he was very candid with us two months ago about the stuff off the field, among other things, when he was on with us. Uh, But I, I can only imagine how he feels about this season. Okay, mine, um, as we will kind of go back and forth here, I'll go with a, a guy that I was high on at the beginning of the year. So I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. By no means do I think that they're molding a bus for him in Canton just yet. But I thought when his number was called and in various areas he was able to contribute, which that alone probably exceeded what people thought in camp, I'll go with Dallas Flowers. Hmm. Again. You just want to talk about the Gorillas. That's right. Pittsburgh State. But I... You know, he's had a couple of moments. He probably has had, you know, I'm not watching him sitting there breaking down film every single play, right? So there have probably been moments where he also was um, vulnerable or or maybe even at times was a liability. I don't know. But I, I think that... Best in, kick return unit in the NFL, the Colts. I, I was going to say, in various areas, I think he's contributed. Casey Valier, you hear him on Colts Radio, um, pregame halftime show. He points out that Paris Campbell's also the only receiver on the team to play in every game. Imagine saying that at the start of the year. Boy, no kidding. Um, I'll go with two that I think you can kind of group together. Zaire Franklin and Grover Stewart. And I know we have talked about them you know, somewhat frequently on the show. But Jake, for a guy that... I mean, I guess there's no other way to say this without bashing the guy. I don't think Kenny Moore has maybe signed the contract and then his play has exceeded to a level that you would like to see. How about Grover Stewart and Zaire Franklin? Grover signs the extension in November 2020. Zaire signs his earlier this year, or I guess now last year at this point, and both of them have taken their play to another level. I think there are some offensive linemen you would not say that about for the Colts. So kudos to Grover Stewart and Zaire Franklin. You know They are two day three draft picks that when you talk about the finances of the NFL – Something you frequently hear is just get to that second contract. Just sign that second contract. Once you sign that, man, yeah. you've made, you know, for the most part, generational money. Stewart and Zaire, day three draft picks, each of them, they both have signed second contracts and their play has only risen since then. So those are two that I would mention. You know, another one I'd throw out there? I mean, there was a lot of expectation about the guy that I'm thinking of. And I, he might have played himself into value to be flipped elsewhere, but DeForest Buckner had a good year. Yeah, he is one that that, that I think is worth mentioning. Um, how about the kicker? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Offered stability at a position that they desperately needed it. So true, Mark. I mean, think about when you cut your kicker after week one, you're basically telling your fan base, all right, be prepared for kicker hell all year long. 
I mean, that's think about how yeah, many Chase McLaughlin's had a good year. How many musical chairs you see around the league with kickers? Yeah, we're bringing in five kickers on a Tuesday to try out, and we'll see if Eddie Pinheiro or yeah. Cairo Santos makes it through the kicker workouts for the game on Sunday. Chase McLaughlin has not only been steady for you, he's honestly been a weapon in an area you haven't had. You know, I guess we mentioned this earlier with Benedict Matherin's ability to get to the foul line at such a high level. That's something the Pacers have not had in quite some time. With Chase McLaughlin, the dude is 8 of 11 from 50 yards or longer. I mean, the Colts used to never attempt those field goals, let alone make those field goals. And Chase McLaughlin, like Paris Campbell, it comes in a contract year. Chase has been a lot of different places in his NFL career. I would put him relatively high on the free agent list of bring back. Mm-hmm. By the way, you mentioned earlier the um, Sycamores and the Cardinals. We were talking college basketball. Yeah, trees. Uh-huh. You know, uh, Cardinals, tree. Cardinals are the state bird of Indiana. Right. You know, the state tree of Indiana. And this is weird because it's the Indiana State Sycamores. You would think that that means that the Sycamore is the state tree. Uh, state tree is actually the tulip tree. And then is it peony? Is that the flower? That is correct, yes. Mm-hmm. Which is only uh, available like in very limited times of the year. Uh, Rosie has an alphabet book for the state of Indiana, and P is peony. Really? Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. You would find the book fascinating. What's Q? Q is Quarry. It's a rabbit hole you don't want to go down. <laughs> Quarry. It was either Jake Quarry. exactly right. It was either Jake Quarry or, or Quarry. Fair enough. Uh, by the way, how about... Bobby Okereke is the one I was going to add to that list, by the way. That's a good one. Yeah, he's played above what people probably expected. And, and you right? know, I, one more that I'll throw on the list, guys. How about Stephon Gilmore? Yeah. Been... 32-year-old cornerbacks in the NFL you don't often see. I said this several times throughout the offseason. I was worried about Gilmore's ability to play every snap. Like, okay, you know, he comes here, he's going to be spot duty for you. You know, he's not necessarily going to be an every-down corner. The Colts have played 16 games this season. Stephon Gilmore has played every single defensive snap in 15 of those 16 games. He missed 10 snaps against the Chiefs earlier this year. That is his only missed time of the season. If you would have told me that at the start of the year, I would have been stunned. So kudos to Chris Ballard for that signing. I don't know if people fully understand. In today's NFL, you do not see 32-year-old cornerbacks, let alone 32-year-old corners, playing as much as he is, let alone play at the level. For a team that can't close, he's been one of the few that stepped up in the fourth quarter and closed games for you. Did you know they have a running back named Jake Funk? Just got called up to the 53-man roster, right? Did he really get called up? I know he was signed in November of the practice squad. Um, I think he is a... um, There's like a kind of a... Almost a a, a Funk cult that loves to support Jake Funk. Jake well, Funk sounds like the name of like a DJ that plays on the second weekend of Bonnaroo or something like that. Like, gotta go see Jake <laughs> so Funk. So here's the thing. We, well, he's actually in the Bud Light zone pregame, <laughs> do, spinning, so, and then he comes on the field. So when when you hear the word funk, do you think of like George Clinton and you know the psychedelic P-Funk band, or do you think of funk like Melodorous? The former. So you think a funk is still like a cool, like the, what's the, the Muppet girl? What's her name? The one that's Janice, right? It's Janice. Mm -hmm. Isn't she named after Janice Joplin? Yeah. So like Janice is like kind of a funk chick, right? Although she looks like she, but then funk also can mean like, dude, that, that guy's got some bad funk going on. I'd like to see Jake Funk get in the open field on, you imagine the call that 
Matt Taylor. You know, imagine what Spiro Ditas would say if Jake Funk got in the open <laughs> field on Sunday. Well, Spiro, Mike, I didn't realize. Did I already mention this? That Spiro Ditas was the guy that was involved in the Jeremy Lin yeah, controversy. Yeah, you have. Let's not. I didn't realize. Do we have to that. go down that path? I didn't didn't know that. So yeah, I, I just I, I thought that, that was that's a good call though. To some, you know, another player that I thought. Kevin, and this is disappointing because the consistency wasn't there. But a guy that I think at times showed flashes because it's the first time that his number has been called with consistency. And it's frustrating because he showed the potential, but then also showed the inconsistency. And that's Kylan Granson. Yeah. You know, at times you were like, Unfortunately, he's been banged up here late. Yeah. And at times you were like, okay, you know, you got something you could work with here. But you just got to be able to do it with some consistency. Yeah, Doug mentions Isaiah Rogers. You know, he's a name that you could probably throw in there. Um, but I thought it was worth mentioning a few Colts. Again, Campbell, to me, you know, you, you go back and listen to that interview that we had with him a couple months ago. I mean, I know everything is kind of in perspective with the DeMar Hamlin situation, but from a physical injury standpoint, boy, Campbell went through a lot those first three years. On the Hamlin front, we do have an update here from Adam Schefter. DeMar Hamlin's father, Mario Hamlin, addressed the entire Bills team on a Zoom call Wednesday to personally update everyone in attendance on his son, per source. Uh, Mario Hamlin informed the Bills that DeMar was making progress, and in the words of one source, the team needed it. I mentioned this at the start of the show, Jake. Listening to Rodney Thomas, the Colt safety talk yesterday in the locker room. Again, he was one year behind DeMar Hamlin in high school. A high school teammates, extremely close. Rodney Thomas said they talk every day. Uh, for what it's worth, Rodney Thomas was, and again, I don't know how much of this is, I want to be vocally supportive and positive of my great friend. He seemed to be very confident that DeMar Hamlin would make a recovery and would one day walk out of... UC Medical Center, and again, I don't want to maybe put too much stock into those words, but um, I think it is encouraging to hear people that are close to DeMar Hamlin provide these updates. Yeah, I think there are a lot of people, and listen, I'm I'm very, you know, any bit of good news is good news for sure. At some point, I'm hopeful that somebody from the hospital is able to give an update not because we are owed that the primary focus is on his health but just because i think that then you have like a a a conclusive bit of news from from those that have comparative you know what i mean that have like an understanding of the situation in comparison to other cases like it and and the optimism there's no right way to say what i'm trying to say but um but i think i get what you're saying good news what everybody's saying but but i think it becomes official when it's the hospital saying it but that's on their own scale their own time you know i don't know if eerie is the right word but it was kind of interesting just being at colts practice yesterday and you look over and for those that have never been to the Colts complex, they have two grass practice fields side by side. They utilized both. Or they utilized both yesterday. And, you know, about 10 yards behind the end zone, there's these three golf carts that are set up there. And in one of the golf cart, you know, you have all of this medical equipment that 
is probably there in emergency. Yeah, and you probably never like never really looked at correct. it. Correct. You know, just kind of always thought to myself, man, I wonder if I can rest my foot on that golf cart during practice. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden you kind of look in there and think. You know, this is the and there is one small, small positive, and Jake, you see it probably in the sport that epitomizes epitomizes it the most in IndyCar. Um, you would think that emergency parameters across all levels of sports, um, this incident and this event certainly opens your eyes to making sure that that is, you know, alive and well. Yeah, I mean, again, things that you. You know, we all have that, when you clean out your closet, you have that one thing that you're like, you know what, I've never used this, but I'm, I'm going to keep it in here because I can't throw it out because someday I'm going to need that. You know, some tool or something. Someday I'm going to need that. And that's what like a defibrillator is, right? I mean, you, you see those things and you think like, come on, really? I mean, that's just hanging on the wall over there. But the one time that you need it, it's awfully good to have it. Uh, this one from Diana Rossini from ESPN. A sil- uh, silver of n- sliver, sliver, uh, sliver of normalcy here in Buffalo. The team is expected to practice, and then the media will speak to players. This is the first time we will hear from Bills head coach Sean McDermott, and she said, "I was told we should have another update on Demar Hamlin this morning." So whenever that comes across, we will relay that information to you. We'll talk Pacers uh, in the 80s. Speaking of silver, you got a silver wrapper over there. We oh, yeah. I meant to share this with you guys. My dad um, <laughs> got me a zero bar. Uh-huh. Heck, yeah. Um, so Breakfast I, to champions. I was, Sales have quadrupled since we've talked about it last no week. There's no doubt. My dad works at the Apple Store at, uh, at Castleton. It's been a uh, joyous retirement job for him. Um, so as he was driving in last week, he tuned into you guys and said, I have got to get Kevin a zero bar. So I'm seeing here caramel peanut almond covered with white fudge. Buddy, let me tell you. I, I've the, never heard of the Zero Bar it's, until... It's the like, chewability yeah. of it that makes it spectacular. The fact you've never had one, I'm, I'm curious to hear. I can already hear what your reaction is going to be when you take the first bite. I mean, honestly, what candy... I don't know, kiosks isn't the right word, but what candy at a gas station has turned into is... 70% Reese's. And they're all king size. That's what bothers me. I'm like, or they're like, oh, here's a Reese's egg. Here's a Reese's. Tr- right. And I love Reese's. But I mean, they have shapes of Reese's. I'm like, is that an they octagon? The, get the Reese's with Pringles in it. I mean, come on. Yeah. Reese's with Pringles. That's, you've not had that? No. Didn't know. You go to gas stations far more than I do, apparently. Or check out the, you scope out you the snack Tesla? aisle. No, I'm saying you scope out the snack aisle. I meant yeah. to tag you guys in this. Let I me, just let, hang let, out let me see if I can find this real fast. I just 60, hang out. Is that the 60 ounce? Good jug? Good I, job, man. I, I think I told you. The other day I looked up my speedy reward points. I, I don't think I ever revealed the number. I, I think it's like, I think you, I feel like you've said it off air at least. It's like in the hundreds of thousands. 388,000 speedy yeah. reward points. Chrissy tagged me in this video. Like Saudi Arabia with another 12,000. The video was, in Europe, we have statues and castles, and in America, we have, and it just panned, and it was a picture of Bucky's. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I'm like, Mark Dykton needs this video more the than Dykton family anything. vacation. Literally. Yeah. Uh, 8 o'clock hour coming up. Kevin Aquarius. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. 
It's a really nice-looking sunrise, actually, on a good-looking Thursday. Good morning to you. My name is Jake Quarry. Kevin Bowen here as well. Mark Dykton, who predicts that the string of lights around the Soldiers and Sailors Monument will not come down until St. Patrick's Day, right, Mark? Yeah, usually. Like I said, it's unseasonably warm, so maybe they'll get them knocked down, but in years past, it's been like Groundhog Day comes and goes, and those things are still rocking. See some nice cotton candy sky action. Yeah. Right behind Riley Towers there. I mean, it's a, it's a good-looking sunrise this morning. Um, last night in Philadelphia, the Pacers, who will be back at the Fieldhouse tomorrow night against the Portland Trailblazers. You know, two ways to look at it. If you're an optimist, you would say this is a really young team that found themselves down midway through the fourth, came roaring back, had the game in hand. Philly had almost like, it feels like fluke plays down the stretch to force overtime. And then in overtime, again, Indiana clawed themselves back from a few deficits. I thought late in the game, Benedict Matherin and what could have been a play to to salt the game away for Indiana, or at least seize control of it, there was a no call on what looked to be a push from James Harden. And I'm not, very, very, very rarely am I ever, like, blame official guy. Right. The Pacers have plenty of opportunities. But again, glass half empty, they squandered those opportunities. Glass half full, this is a young team that wasn't even supposed to be um, you know, above 500 at this point. And when you look at their age and you look at their competitiveness, you got to be pretty encouraged. You know, I want to hit on the Matherin, uh, just his ability to get to the foul line in just a second. But let's kind of stick with that loss for a second here, Jake. The Pacers make a valiant comeback on the road in Philly. Blow it late, losing overtime. If this was me last March, I'd be like, "Woo, entertaining loss!" You know, woo. You know, this is perfect for draft order, draft position, all of that. It just seems like the that section of the fan base has really, really either dwindled and or quieted with this start. And, and I guess I'm curious, like, should that still be the goal this season? Is yeah, is being the seventh seed exactly what? And I know this is weird. And with the Colts having such a poor season, the fact that the Pacers have offered a somewhat consistent winning product when no one really inside of that building expected it. Um, you know, we should obviously just be happy with how the Pacers are are playing and winning. But is this one of those years like we're going to look back on in two or three seasons and think, man, you know, was getting in the playing game and and, and getting out of the lottery? really the exact result that you wanted. Um, obviously, we haven't even reached the midway point of the season, so there still is a ton of basketball to be played. But that was a thought I had after the loss last night, thinking, isn't this kind of what a lot of people wanted at the start of the year? To see this team in end of game situations, learning and growing, to see the young guys, to your earlier point, Jake, Matherin and Halliburton and Nemhard, they were on the floor the entire fourth quarter, it seemed, all throughout overtime as well. Isn't that what you want to see? These guys in those situations, growing in those situations, but still realizing you are a major piece away from really getting to the upper upper quartile of the Eastern Conference. Um, and that has to come, you would think, through the draft. Again, I know it's a little bit of a pessimistic way to look at it when you're 21 and 17, but it's definitely a thought that crossed my mind. Late in the game, there were seemingly every possession. I know it wasn't that, 
but there were a number of trips down the floor for Philadelphia that were thwarted by really good and active defensive plays from Miles Turner. His rim protection and his ability, I, I just for the the way this team has come together. The two guys that really made, I thought, the most consistent plays on the two ends of the floor to keep Indiana in that game last night were Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. And I know that the narrative is that they've got to flip these pieces. They've got to flip them. And contractually, things come into play there. I get it. But I think they're just playing and contributing in such a, a, a way with this group of young players that I that it I think it's starting to look like, and I never thought I'd say this, but it's starting to look like perhaps whatever you would get in return for those two might potentially be better than the two players we're talking about. But they are a known commodity at this point that I don't know, Kevin, that you necessarily part with. Yeah, I am. I think I'm there with Buddy Heald all the way. With Miles, it all comes down to the extension for me. If he's not willing to sign it in the next month, I think you have to trade him. I just don't think you can get the free agency and think, you know what? Our recruiting pitch is going to be better than Dallas's or whoever. Um, and again, this is a discussion we could probably have in a, in a couple of weeks at the trade deadline getting closer. One of the things to your point about what Miles brings to you defensively kind of goes back to a little bit of when I thought to myself, you know what? I think this Pacers team will be better than Vegas thinks. First off, I thought they just get better health injury wise. Like they, they just, they, they traded away guys that unfortunately have got a lot of brittle to their NBA careers, right or wrong. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm being too harsh, but reality is guys like Brogdon and Warren and Lavert have missed a lot of games, and they're no longer here. Secondly, the Pacers were the worst team in the NBA last year in the clutch. I think they defined that by games within five points in the last five minutes. I thought inevitably they would just be better there, but Jake, to your point about Turner, I mean, remember, Turner missed a huge chunk of last season. It's almost like the Pacers have a couple closers on each end of the floor. Like, the Colts have no closers outside of Gilmore. I mean, no one can close. They don't have a quarterback and a wideout that can go get a third down when it matters, and they don't have a defensive end that can right. go slam the door shut. Turner defends the rim, and may if Nemhard and Halliburton just don't turn it over last night, the Pacers win that game. Turner is a closer on one end and erasing things, and then in the at the other end of the floor, and again, I know he wasn't it last night, but for the most part, he has been. Halliburton has turned into that with his ability to either hit big shots or get in the lane and set somebody up for a big shot. When you have that on both ends of the floor, that is a big reason why the Pacers have been so much better in the clutch this season. And they just didn't have that last year on, on either end, whether it was Turner, obviously not out there because of his health. And then on the other end, you know, whether it was Brogdon or even when Halliburton came here, for those final months of the season, it was still, I think, so new and so fresh. It's just too much to expect him to be that guy for you. The Pacers now have that, and that is huge in the NBA where you have so many games, and the Pacers, I think, have been involved in a ton here lately that come down to those final few minutes. I had a conversation yesterday with Mark Monteith, who told me a great story 
Um, and I can't recall, Mark was telling me who who had told him this story about Buddy Heald in Sacramento, and I, I can't remember who it was that was telling Mark this story. So I'm now telling a story that was told to Mark. But when Luke Walton was the head coach of the Kings, they had a video session, and they were going over some film of a game and, and Luke Walton was getting really mad about their defensive play or lack of defensive play for Sacramento. And so he said, I, I, I'm done with you guys. I mean, I'm done trying to go over what you need to do to guard. So here's what we're going to do. I, whatever I'm saying is falling on deaf ears. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to leave. I'm getting up and leaving the room. And you guys you guys can figure out. It might have been Halliburton actually that told the story. But you, you guys can just figure it out. You figure out what you're going to do to guard better. You figure out how our defense is going to get better and what we're going to do about the fact that we're giving up 130 points a game or whatever. And he walks out of the room. And there's like 10 seconds of silence. And Buddy Heald stands up and says, well, it just goes to show, fellas, we got to score more. (laughs) (laughs) And so... um, That does not surprise me. So Mark was saying, though, he's like, you know, it's interesting. Certain guys you label as they, they, they don't play defense until they get into a situation where they really have to. And I think Indiana has emphasized, like, you've got to deal a little bit if you're going to play here. You know, Carlisle, look at Isaiah Jackson. You know, if you're not going to guard, you're going to fall out of rotation. And Buddy Hill's not going to fall out of rotation. But, you know, he's he's been okay defensively here. I mean, some of these guys, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich, he wasn't a great defender when he came to Indiana, but but he was in a situation where, you know, they wanted him to guard. Nate McMillan asked him to guard, wanted him to guard, and, and he was okay. You know, sometimes guys just – but I just think Buddy Heald has been – man, he hits open shots. He's a good three-point shooter, obviously. And again, it's a skill set, Jake, that should not wane too much with age. If you can shoot it, you can shoot it into your 30s. Yeah. It's not this freak athlete that athleticism is going to go quick. Uh and again, he's been extremely durable throughout his career. I think he helps Mather and he helps Halliburton. And so I, I you know, Buddy's not in a contract year, but I would be team retain Buddy Heald. On the Mather in front, I know we touched on this briefly earlier, Jake. I don't know if even I fully grasp how impressive it is Matherin's ability to get to the foul line. He's averaging more than six foul shots a game. That is coming off the bench, so doing it in less than 30 minutes. And as we saw last night, he ain't getting star treatment with the whistle. It is extremely rare to go back in Pacers history, particularly in the last decade plus, to find a player that gets to the foul line as frequently as Matherin has this season. I, I, I was looking at it last night. I think Paul George did it one time in his career. And again, Paul was playing a lot more minutes than Matherin is. I think Danny Granger... Did it one of his seasons here? But you've got to go way back to find particularly a guard that is such a willing, relentless attacker. His ability to finish in a multitude of ways, I think, is really impressive. He had like a left-handed finish last night. He and did. I was like, what was he that? Did. I was shocked when he attempted it and made it. Um, that's just a part of his game, Jake, that how many times do you hear, the guy's in a slump, but man, that was important for him to get to the foul line. Just to see one one or two go in. The fact that he can create those easy baskets or easy attempts at the line, such a luxury the Pacers haven't had. It's interesting that that 
Benedict Mathram, from the time he was drafted, you have talked about erecting a statue for him, right? We should almost his nickname should just be the statue because he is stoic all the time. I was nervous where he was going with that, Mark. <laughs> There's a lot of different ways. Yeah, I no, was but, nervous but there he, for a second. He, he he moves on to the next play very well. Correct. When he scores a big play or when he's fouled, he just has the same look, just a stoic look all the time. Locked in. Totally locked in. Kuth in the YouTube chat says, there are still a few of us who want to tank. What percentage do you think the fan base sits there last night and says? I think you made a good point earlier. I mean, in October, that's what people would have said, right? And that would have been north of 50%, right? And now what is it? Is it 20? Are there people that just don't want to admit it? Here's a text I have. When your best players are a combined 43 years old, getting into the playoffs and getting experience is valuable as hell. Okay. I, I could I, I can listen to that. Let's say how much more younger do you want to get? I just still think you need one big wing. And where where are you finding that? Where are you finding the six eight, six nine wing? Because if you're paying Turner and you're paying Halliburton, we know how free agency goes for this franchise. You gotta find in the draft. So that would be the one question. Or trade partner. That I would have. But again, I mean, who are your trade pieces? Like, yeah. if you if you re-sign Turner you, and you obviously extend Halliburton, you aren't, I just, you aren't as in, you aren't in as flexible of a position as you currently are. It's tricky, for sure. Um, I'm looking outside and it's this gorgeous sunrise. And then I look at my phone and it says it's supposed to rain today and it's going to be cloudy all day. You want me to bite this? Yeah, the zero bar. Boy. But Kevin, oh, oh. Context, please. Kevin has opened his zero bar. And Are there looks two like in that's here? A, that, yeah, that's the king size. So you've got two versions Man, there. Look at you. I mean, how much do you think big, my dad paid for this? Oh, do you guys want the other half? Uh, Mark and I will split the other half. Yeah, I'm not leading the train. Uh, this came up. This conversation came up the other day. I think there's a hair before, on it. Before you try it, Kevin, I will tell you this. There's I, a hair on it? That's a great start. When you were gone and your father was listening to the show, thanks. Um, and I was like, Dad, what the hell? <laughs> God. But... I was in a Speedway, and I asked the girl working. I said, if you could put an orange sticker on the bottom of any one candy bar. She's like, just shut up and, and, it, and swipe your credit card and move on. And in one year, I come back in, and that the candy bar that I put the orange sticker on is still there, or that you put the orange sticker on is still there. So you, you do that stick in public, too? It's oh. not just on these airways? No, no, He's no, like, absolutely. sir, I'm on the graveyard shift right now. Right. It's three in the morning. I'd like to go to bed. I said, what candy bar would you pick? And she was very enthralled by my question. And looked around and said probably the zero bar and i said i hear you i but have you ever had one she said no and i said they are wonderful so i bought one and we split it and she said you have changed my life you bought her a candy bar of course does shannon know this throwing it to me (laughs) shannon doesn't care that i buy other women candy bars shannon doesn't like candy bars all right here we go okay here goes that's wonderful kevin has tried the zero bar I, I told you guys originally, I'm a big white chocolate white fudge. So mm-hmm. that's a really good start for me. <laughs> I'm not a big caramel, though. See, I said the detriments for the zero bar. Why people Should I pass, turn my mic off while I chew? Why people pass it up is because, first of all, zero in, makes it sound like it's like a protein bar. And then the wrapper looks like Philadelphia cream cheese. So people are probably like, what's that? I don't want that. Okay. The, the marketing folk weren't very smart with it. Well, we looked it up. What was it? 1920s when they came up with it, and it was because right. zero was like something to do with winter or something. You know, we like have chocolate. very conflicting 
reports on this. Matthew, just try it, Kevin. It's a very underrated candy bar. Not what you would expect at all. Greg, I tried it after listening. It's terrible. Greg's a communist. Now, the, it, it, it tastes like a Milky Way yeah, with white six, chocolate. 6.2. 6.2. Yeah. I said it's fine. It's nothing I would... It's fine. I, I would not go it's out of my way to buy it. the soft chewiness of it that makes it good, right? Again, I'm not a huge caramel person, but... Well, there is a there is a fairly substantial layer of caramel in there. But like I said earlier, Reese's has just gone... And, Reese's has gone in there and said, we've got the most NIL money. Here you go. Well, they now make the Reese's cup with the Reese's pieces in it, chipped in, and that doesn't work. Reese's pieces, you got to have just on your own. Do you know that I believe this is correct that in the movie E.T. that they originally commissioned M&M's and M&M's declined and Reese's Pieces like you can use ours and it launched it. How good are peanut butter M&M's? Yeah, they're pretty solid. They're pretty solid. I don't like the um, the crisp M&M's the M&M's with like the, the No, 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 no. The no, rice no. Krispies Just or- orange bag for me yeah. all day long. Yeah. All day long. Scott Agnes going to join us in 10 minutes. Did you see Isaiah Jackson last night, Jake, in Fort Wayne? I didn't see what he did in Fort Wayne. 24 and 12, 11 of 19 from the floor. Again, he is up there, it sounds like, for the game tonight as well. And then I thought Carlisle mentioned before the game uh, last night that he might be up there for an additional game this weekend. So this could be kind of a long stay up there for him. I, I do feel like it's almost shifted to where Jalen Smith is now, like the new potential backup five versus Isaiah I think that's Jackson. Right. I think that's right. Yep. By the way, Neil Brown says uh, Zero is the most underrated candy bar out there. Now, this guy's yeah, literally... I, I, I respect the hell out of Neil, but no. Neil is the literally the chef of Indianapolis, Neil, right? I mean, when it comes to a palate, restaurants, yeah. no question. I mean, this guy is literally like you give when it comes to food you give this guy finger paint and he turns it into the Sistine sure. Chapel right yeah I'm telling Peyton Manning if, and he if, doesn't know anything about football yeah if he if if he's down with the candy bar then well that's all you need but to again know. his is you know impressive cuisine we're talking about a he's, gas station candy I know this bar. I know this Neil has always been very impressed with my my palate he he says to me all the time Jake you are a you are absolutely a sophisticated Do we have any audio about Jake's eater. ego? Oh, God, we have so much. <laughs> I don't know which one you want. What are you want. talking about? I love me some me. What I mean, you, you, you've said a lot of things on these airwaves that have indicated the ego is, you know, 465 big. The <laughs> fact that you just said a chef complimented your palate oh, has got to be time. near the top. He tells me all the time. He says to me, he's like, I, Jake, if there's one thing I know about you, you know fine food. He, tell, he says that to me routinely. Almost every time I talk to him. <laughs> <That's> com- <laughs> God Almighty! <laughs> it's true. Uh, I love me some meat. I do. I'm surprised your head Not fits as much through as this zero door bar. when you walk in every morning. Did you give Mark some of the zero bar? Yeah, you did. I tried it before. I tried it last week. It was all right. Like I said nothing. I would seek out. It's fine. <laughs> Kurt, by the way, Kurt in Arkansas, who used to sell candy, we learned that also. Kevin says you are correct on ET and Reese's pieces. You know your stuff when it comes to candy. I do. I'm, I'm a candy aficionado. You were. You were naming candies that I've never yeah, heard. The of Necco wafer. Like, He's never heard of the Necco wafer. No, 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 no. Necco wafer. I heard of. What was okay. the one you we talked about off air? Yeah. What the hell is that? Everybody's had a chicka stick. No, they like, haven't because I've like never a heard Zagnut, of it. but in in a log. I've never form. heard of Zagnut either. You see uh, Jim Mercer yesterday, Jake, $25,003 to the DeMar Hamlin I did Foundation. And I have to admit, I was a little slow on the intake because I was like, $3? Yeah, jersey did they, number. Did they try mm-hmm. to beat somebody by $3? I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's right. He's jersey number three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've said this a lot on this show, and 
have several stories we can share about it, but there is no denying the philanthropic heart of Jim Irsay. Agreed. Sorry, I'm eating my. I was going to say, look over there, and you look like a chipmunk. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, all right, morning checkdown time here. The morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. If you've got problems with your nip, uh, your, your, okay, nice. not your nip. I got to bring you back down yeah. to earth. Uh-huh, yeah. I always have that one in the room. How about that? That one's always holster. How about that palette? Yeah. Uh, all right, Big Ten action tonight here locally. Some big ones. Purdue at Ohio State. That's 7 o'clock. Let's hear from Matt Painter on Purdue's response tonight. You know, you don't want to forget some of the things you struggled at. You know, when you don't forget it, you know, you fix it and you get better because of it. But no matter if we don't, you know, won the game or lost the game, which we obviously did against Rutgers, Ohio State was going to be a tough game. You know what I mean? So, like, that doesn't really affect much. You try to fix the things that you struggle with. But the other thing that pops up is a new team causes different problems sometimes. So you have to be aware of that. So that again, in a library. Why was he whispering? Seven o'clock. I feel like Matt Painter always kind of has that tone to him. Like that's seven o'clock tonight. Well, the next person we're going to hear. I've always said I feel like Mike Woodson has a great grandfather voice. He'd be a great you know person to read a book. Maybe Mark to one of your tone low. What are your girls? I, <laughs> Indiana. I don't, think, I don't think Mike Woodson. And Tone Loke have ever been... Hold on. Do we have Mike Woodson audio and and uh, the beginning of Tone Loke when you he's talking about wild thing? <laughs> well, when he talks about Funky Co Medina and his all the dogs. Is he gonna talk about Jake Funk? Alex from Stroh's. Yeah, Jake Funk. Janice from the Muppets. Tie you in Iowa tonight at nine o'clock. We haven't seen Trace Jackson Davis on the floor in a while. Here was Woodson earlier in the week on Trace's health. Yesterday. uh was really the first time he's had some contact. And uh, I thought he looked pretty good, but I won't know the extent of it until I, you know, I get down there in the training room today and, and just see how he feels physically. But, you know, he's been doing some things on the floor, but not a lot of contact. And the day, yesterday, we we had a lot of contact yesterday. And uh, today we'll have a lot of contact. We'll scrimmage today and, and just kind of see where he is, you know, Providing that you know he's feeling good about yesterday's practice. Yeah, just think in your head. I got Spuds McKenzie, Alex from Stroh's. That doesn't sound just like that. IU needs All American Trace Jackson Davis right now. Uh, Jake, Iowa is eight and six on the year. They've lost four of five, and their third leading scorer just stepped away from the team. You hate to pencil anything in as like you know a road win that you should have, but. I mean, on paper, this is going to fall yeah. into one of the, what, four or five easier road games you if have? there's a time, and, and listen, I, I say listen way too much. Um, McCaffrey leaving Iowa to focus on his mental health. I'm not making light of that by any stretch of the imagination. But the combination of the contribution he gives them on the floor when he's there and the way they're playing right now on a three-game skid, if there's a time to go to Iowa, it's right now. There's still one more McCaffrey for those confused watching tonight. Connor is still on the team. I believe that's Jason Benetti and Bill Rafferty on the call coming up at 9 tonight. Last and we go a little something like this. Yeah, see, now which Hit one is it? it? <laughs> was that, is that, that Tone Loke or Mike Woodson? I can't tell the, the other thing about Mike Woodson that's that's kind of amazing, his voice totally matches what he looks like. Oh, 1,000%. But it doesn't match what he looked like when he played at Indiana. 
You know, when he was like a young guy, like that. I mean, maybe your voice does change as you get older, but like that, like that, in no way, shape, or form sounds like what he looked like in 1980. Butler beats DePaul last night, 78-70. Eric Hunter with 23 as a career high for the Tinley Indianapolis Tinley product, over a thousand points for his career. So credit or congrats, I should say, to Eric Hunter on that two in a row for Butler in the Big East. Again, last night in the NBA, it was the Pacers falling short in Philadelphia, 129-126 in overtime. Three-game win streak now for the Sixers. No Joel Embiid. He had a sore foot, but James Harden with 26, Tobias Harris with 29 and 10 boards. Four-game win streak snapped for Indiana. They are back at the field house tomorrow night. Take a the Portland Trailblazers. Week 18 in the NFL. It sounds like the schedule will go as expected. And nothing says Week 18 in the NFL like Nathan Peterman under center and David Blau under center. How about the Purdue product, David Blau, getting a start? Hung around for a long time, you know? Arizona will be where David Blau starts this weekend. Uh, AFC, NFC, let's quick look at the playoff picture there. And the AFC, again, you have that AFC South win and win the division coming up on Saturday night between Titans and Jags. For the seventh seed, the Patriots control things. They win, they're in. If they lose, Miami could get in. Pittsburgh, a little bit of a longer shot, could also get in. And in the NFC, Mark Dykton probably already has the audio ready. It's the Green Bay Packers in with a win. That is Sunday night football. Packers and Lions. I love Dan Campbell's quote yesterday about the Lions and the intensity level they will have in that game. Uh, And he brought that up, or he was asked about that, because Seattle plays earlier in the day. If Seattle were to win, that would eliminate Detroit from possibly getting into the playoffs. Again, Detroit is at Lambeau on Sunday night football. Uh, hey, Jake, Kevin is all wrong. The zero bar is incredible. When you mentioned uh, no. it the other day, I bought Mediocre. one. My life is now complete. I literally believe Kevin and Mark are downplaying the zero bar just so they don't have to admit that you are 1 million percent correct. Did you They're text both that going from home today phone? and gorging themselves with the almighty zero. Okay, when one of them has a stomach bug tomorrow, you'll know why. Mm-hmm. One of the more outrageous texts in the history <laughs> of the show. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Did you find the out? Zero Bar is delicious. As a child, it was a longtime favorite. I've gotten away from it, but I'm going to buy one today. That from Bryson. You know, Mark, as you see here, Jake, okay, he finally got to Bryson. He was thinking of a name, right. and he thought, you know what? Kevin yeah. hates Bryson DeChambeau. <laughs> yep. We're going to go with Bryson. I'm just telling you. Yeah. No, I mean, I would have fully admitted if it was good. It was fine. It was it, fine. It, it, I just probably wouldn't get. I wouldn't seek it out again. The more I have it, the more I realize why the cashier said that she'd put a sticker on the bar. Yeah. Excuse me? The cashier that you talked to. Right. The more that I eat it, the more I realize why no one touches it. Well, see, so you're dropping your score then. You're- I am. Yeah, I started 6.2. I'm down to a 4.6. Oh, wow. Yeah. Scott Agnes next to talk Pacers. <laughs> Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Mike, what's in her tumult? You tell me. I'm telling you. Which one is that? Is that Mike Woodson or Tone Loke? I mean, I know it's Tone Loke because I'm looking at it, but if you did like a blind, like, hearing test, I don't know, blind hearing test doesn't make any sense, you could you could argue that they both sound similar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. 
Really does. Tone Loke is still with us, isn't he? How about this from Eric in the YouTube so. chat? Kevin and Jake, lifelong Colts fan, recently moved to Tokyo. So wow. y'all are my night show now. Thanks for keeping me connected to the Colts for better or worse. Eric, I love it. Now, send some candy this way, some Japanese candy. Is Eric from Indianapolis and moved to Tokyo? Uh, Well, well you asked him and hopefully he'll chime in with that. That's got to be pretty cool. Any desire to go to Tokyo, Jake? I think it'd be cool. I, I mean, that is just such a different culture. I mean, that that is literally a complete 180 in all aspects. You know, other side of the world, obviously totally different language and culture. I think it'd be fascinating. I didn't know our signal uh, extended to Tokyo. You may not get it in Greenwood, but Tokyo, strong. <laughs> we strong. got it. Great signal strength in Tokyo. Let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Our next guest, Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files. Scott, I said this to Jake a few minutes ago. Last night was a weird feeling post game for me, and I don't know, maybe the a large chunk of the fan base. At the start of the year, I think you would have had fans all over that game being like, entertaining loss, I love it, perfect for tanking. When you're 21 and 17, and you've had the start the Pacers have had, and you're six in the East, and you're playing against a team above you in the standings, I got the feeling that, and maybe it's how the game ended, particularly the final 40 seconds. But I think Pacers fans are kind of pissed that <laughs> that they lost that game, and thinking a little bit more playoff centric and less draft standing centric. Yeah, Kevin, that's a really good point. I, I thinking back to last night, I didn't get one of those texts to your first point. Which, I mean, the first two weeks of the season, I, I certainly did, where it's like, hey, it went exactly as hoped, well done, but also a fun team to watch. Right. right. I think they've reset the expectations, at least fans in their mind has, where it shifted from, all right, this is a complete rebuild, to, hey, not only are we going to have fun watching this team, but I expect to win many a nights. And, and last night, I mean, you're up, <laughs> you're up by four with 40 seconds left, you expect that to continue for another night. Late in the game, and I can't recall, Scott, if it was in the overtime. I think it was in overtime or regulation, but I think it was the end of the overtime. Indiana still had a chance. The Pacers did, and they went with Benedict Matherin. It looked like he actually got kind of a, a push from James Harden, and thus they couldn't capitalize. Does Benedict Matherin get that whistle in another two years? Are there is there a certain thing in the NBA of the earned whistle that young guys don't get, or is that me hallucinating? No, one of the things I first thought about was for one, who is he going against? Too it was it was a veteran, it was a former NBA MVP in James Harden. So you had the two complete opposites of one being a rookie. Maybe, you know, you know we're, you don't get the benefit of the doubt might be the best way to put it, rather than, like, you, you know, you got to earn that type thing. Um, here was my take on it. I didn't necessarily think it was an obvious foul. I know fans really thought it was a shove. However, I will say this. The way in which Benedict Matherin hit the floor and, you know, the contact level, he is not shown to be a guy that's going to flop or anything like that that now he was off balance a little bit but purely based off his reaction it probably seems to me that it was a foul um but it was it was just i think maybe it was the camera or the angle maybe it just didn't seem like too much of an offhand shove harden got him clean up top but also matherin's a tough guy and i think he would have stood his ground if he could 
Again, Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Scott, when you watch last night and Matherin's struggling a bit from the field, gets to the foul line 10 times, and then you look at his point total, and boy, he was a huge reason why you came back in the fourth quarter and you know made it a competitive game. When's the last time the Pacers have had a rim attacker like him? I mean, the dude comes off the bench and averages six foul shots a game. I, just to kind of put that into perspective for Pacers fans, it's been quite some time. I think Paul eclipsed that number once in his time here. Danny Granger, you probably have to go back to to find someone that you know got to that level. That's very rare, let alone for a bench guy, let alone for a rookie, to be doing it as consistently <laughs> as he's doing it. Yeah, that's what's really stood out is, you know, he, he's not settling for threes, not settling for jump shots, and he never is afraid of the moment or the matchup. Um, I, I give him credit last night if the shots weren't dropping, he just relentlessly attacked, and that somewhat became the Pacers' offense down the stretch. It was give it to Ben and kind of get out of the way a little bit, and I thought that was kind of in a, uh, the team adapting to kind of what was working in the moment or for the matchup. And, uh, yeah, it's a blast to watch to see him. And it's also become a surprise as well because you just do not see young guys, forget the rookie, even a third-year guy, you know, um, try to maneuver and figure it out the way to do that and have the confidence to get to the rack. It's just so early. It's, it's a blast to watch so far. I saw this last night on Twitter, Alex Golden and Mark Boyle kind of going back and forth on it, and I'm glad that Jake and I are both on the same page with this. Neither of us are big, you know, ref complain people, but do you think they should alter at all the ability to challenge calls? It's just one and done, right? No matter if you get it right or get it wrong in the NBA, you have to have a timeout. Um, do you think they should alter that at all, or is game flow and getting the game over in two hours and five minutes more important? I do think so, because if, if you're right, why should you be penalized, is what I've been saying for a couple of years, by not keeping your own. It, it, the, it's the official's fault if they got it wrong. Um, so you think if they get the challenge add, right, you should keep it? Yeah, it does that. In fairness, it does add some strategy into it, right? Because if there's a bad call first, second quarter... You generally, you're not, why waste the challenge right there? You might have more of a decisive play. Now, usually in the first half, the only challenge is if a play, key player picks up a third foul, for example. Um, but then also, KB, when do you stop, right? Do you keep it, do you have unlimited challenges until you lose? Yeah, the or NFL do does, does two three? challenges. Yeah. And, and they add but one I, in I, overtime, the NFL. No, 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 no that, that, like, that is wrong. All challenges are from the booth, excuse me. I would like to see them to add at least one more should the coach get it correct, which would allow for them to utilize it um, in a different way and, 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 and maintain it. But the, I, I'm guessing, I haven't seen it, but I'm guessing Mark's point is what we don't need is more replay. Let, right. Let's limit it. And one gives you enough chances. It gives you that one saving grace, but let's not have five per game. Scott Isaiah Scott Agnes, by the way, is our guest on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Um, Isaiah Jackson is a guy that you know. I've I've been a fan of his skill set for a while. He averaged eighteen and a half minutes per game in November. He averaged just over fifteen a game in December. He averaged thirteen and a half per game uh, throughout. Or excuse me, in December thirteen and a half, November fifteen and a half, and then October in some games, you know, eighteen. So his minutes have gone down. Is what I'm getting at. Is that because of what he's not doing or what other players around him are doing? 
I would say it's more what other players are doing because what have you seen? You've seen the lineup shuffle a little bit. You're seeing a lot more guard play. You're seeing very little two big man lineups, right? Two bigs in the lineup, meaning you know Miles and Jalen Smith, which is exactly how this franchise or this yeah this team started the season, touting, hey Jalen, you're our starting power forward. He resigns with them. We're just not seeing a lot of that. Instead, you're seeing basically them take advantage of so many good guards. They have a, as much as they have a problem with their bigs with, with too many, the same thing is true with their guards. I mean, the, the guy that pops out is the guy in the same draft class with Chris Duarte trying to find his game rhythm again after missing 21 games to do that ankle injury. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing Andrew Nemhard start. You're seeing Aaron Neesmith start at the four. Then Jalen Smith becomes the backup five behind Miles Turner. And, Miles played well, especially protecting the rim last night, but that would have been one. I wouldn't have been uh, disappointed to see Jalen also be back in there because he had played a pretty nice game to that point. Um, But it's just where do you work him in late in the game? They rather keep the smaller four-guard lineup in there. And so that's that's more what this is a product of. And so then it leaves Isaiah. I mean, Goga's played, I think, three times in the last 18 games. Those two first-round picks right now are going without minutes. Kind of on that front, and again, Scott Agnes Fieldhouse Files with us, is it too early to say like Jalen Smith is the what we thought Isaiah Jackson would be as kind of that young backup five? I, I, no, I think that's way too early okay. um, to get at. Now, in terms of current role, yeah, that's absolutely what he is. But I don't think we've seen nearly enough from Isaiah. Honestly, that's my only... The big critique I'd have of where the Pacers are at right now is there's certain things that are behind where I thought they would be only because of the wins. Whereas, you know, I expected Isaiah to play 15 minutes per game, play through mistakes, have some big wins, have some tough decisions that he'd learn from. Those are the only things that, that he, he's not getting right now. Um, but it, it's hard to do that when the wins are piling up and this team is having so much fun no matter who's getting the credit. For those that are curious, which would include me, Isaiah Jackson is with the Pacers. He gets sent up to Fort Wayne, down to Fort Wayne, whichever way you want to look at it, geographically speaking, up. But he goes to the G League. What does that do in terms of, for example, in the NFL, if a guy's on the practice squad, he makes a certain amount, then he gets activated, his pay goes back up again. Does that affect a player's paycheck when they are sent to the G League? It does not at all, no. What, and and it's not something that if you're uh, assigned to the G League, you have to play X amount of games at all. Um, oftentimes, most of the time, for the NBA elite top, top guys or something, it may be used for just a practice, but the team has to technically announce it. Um, so especially with the Mad Ants practicing at their same facility, if Chris Gortay practiced with the Mad Ants for one afternoon, that would be an assignment even if he didn't play. But the pay does not change. It is simply a maneuver and an, a, an opportunity for him to get out there, get some game reps, run up and down the floor, burn, you know, burn some energy. And I think last night he finished with 24 points and 12 rebounds. Had a productive night like he should going against that type of player. Again, Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files. Scott, last one for me. We are... What, about a month and a week? Maybe a little bit less than that? Away from the trade deadline. Um, 
how much do you think what the Pacers do win-loss-wise over the next few weeks will impact that slash should that impact that? I don't, nor do I think it should impact that. I, I think what it's going to come down to more than anything is what kind of buyers are out there. Um, the vibe that I've gotten right now is the Pacers really like where things are at, and more than anything, I'm not even specifically talking about the wins losses. I'm talking about the energy, the chemistry, the the makeup of the group in that locker room right now that you, if you're in the front office, you have to be very cautious about tinkering with a little bit. But then we all have that big picture in mind, right? So then I think it just comes down to what kind of offers are out there um, on whether you pull the trigger or not. Um, I, I don't think they're specifically, you know, calling around trying to move a guy. I, I haven't got that vibe at all. I think right now, actually, the the vibe is quite the opposite. It's more let's let's you know stand still, let's play, you know, take it easy and, and see what's out there, um, but not be pursue pursuing anything too hard right now. Any gut feel on Miles Turner and that contract extension? Nothing yet. No. Um, I, I will say I did ask him the other day. Aaron Neesmith was talking about, "Hey, I'm having the most bas- most fun playing basketball I have in several years." Miles talked next. I, I sent that question to him as well, and he kind of sat back and was like, "Yeah, absolutely. This is this is a lot of fun," which suggests to me that he he's content. He likes his current role. He likes his current group, um, and would allow for you to re, re- allow for him to want to rethink things. However, I, I think the biggest thing in all this has not changed and it shouldn't if I were him, I think. And that's considering this is probably his last, his largest contract that he's ever going to receive. So he would probably want to maximize those earnings, whether that's with the Pacers or elsewhere, uh, just depends on what kind of dollar figure he can command. And NBA trade deadline coming up in February, February 9th, Scott Agnes Fieldhouse files Pacers, uh, Pacers, Portland tomorrow night at Gamebridge, Fieldhouse. Scott, appreciate it. We'll talk to you, all right? I appreciate it, Jake. I have to drop to you. A couple people mentioned the, the zero bars. I know we texted a little bit about this. I'm telling you. I even had one delivered. I really enjoyed it. So. <laughs> no, wait. Hold no, on. You, hold don't, on. you don't mean that last did part. You say you, did you just say you enjoyed no. the zero you bar? You enjoyed it because it was free. No, there, because <laughs> it's a delicacy. Delicacy. It's a white chocolate. I'm a big white chocolate guy. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. With the caramel? It's very chewy. It's not a Jason Williams reference you just made right there, Scott. <laughs> Scott, thank you, man. Thanks, guys. Scott Agnes right there. think Jason Williams is now? White chocolate. Where is he? Boy, you talk about a dude that he was a unique individual. What Him and Ray, he was Randy Moss's high school quarterback, right? Uh, they played, I don't did they play football together? I know that they played basketball together. I thought that was the case there. Where does Damian Lillard rank on people you enjoy watching the NBA? When he's hot, top 10. Bless you, Mark. Mark's sneezing after the zero bar. I'm sure yeah, there's allergic reaction. no correlation there. Uh, I would Top I'm, 10? Yeah, when he's when he's hot. Yeah. I mean, when he gets it going, he's pretty amazing. You're going to see your guy Shaden Sharp tomorrow. Yeah, he's played well, hasn't he? Or am I, uh, coming am off I the bench, there? I think he's had a couple moments. I, I, don't, I don't think anything. What about Dyson Daniels? He hasn't done much, right? Don't think so. You know the guy that has done nothing. Johnny least, Davis? Yeah. A guy that I didn't think a whole lot of coming to the draft, who I think has had some good moments, though, is A.J. Griffin for Atlanta. The uh, Duke product there. And and he fell, didn't he? 
a little bit. I think there was you know some health questions. The shot again didn't look pretty, but uh, look at Tyrese Halliburton. Um, all right, nine o'clock hour coming up. Zach Kiefer to get back into the Colts chatter. That happens in about ten. Mark, you just ask an interesting question to us in the break in regards to the Colts and the drafting of a quarterback. Why don't you share mm-hmm. that with our audience? I said you get your pick of the litter. Bryce Young, C.J. Strouder, Will Levis, who you taking? And you guys had different answers. And you sided with Jake? I don't think I sided with anybody. Okay. I haven't seen enough of Will Levis. My suspicion is that Josh Allen is making Will Levis a lot of money because I think Will Levis is one of those that maybe his output hasn't necessarily been at the level of the other two, but that he is seen as a guy that has the size and the athleticism and the the arm strength. But I would go with C.J. Stroud of those three. I'm probably in the Bryce Young camp, but boy, C.J. Stroud really... Really impressed me on Saturday. You know, it's interesting when you think about Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. Jake, C.J. Stroud could answer his biggest question. And he did that on Saturday. Bryce Young can't answer his biggest question. Bryce Young's biggest question is his height. He can't change it. C.J. Stroud's biggest question entering Saturday was, could you do things, could you create, could you do things off script? Could you be the guy that kind of carries a little bit more of a burden when... You know, whatever. The pass rush is in your face, and you've got to do some things, not just X and O's on the whiteboard. And boy, did he do it on the biggest stage. The unfair thing, it's fascinating because it's totally unfair to go back. In other words, you know, Bobby Hoying's success or lack thereof in the NFL should not have any impact on C, on CJ Stroud's ability but the the label of the Ohio State quarterback and the lack of success they've had in the NFL draft people are going to weigh on with CJ Stroud I mean Arch Schleister yeah you were looking up JT, JT Barrett when I walked in this morning Cordell Jones Braxton Miller Terrell Pryor I feel like people hate Will Levis. <laughs> I feel like he's going to be such a... It does kind of feel that way. Joe Germain. Joe Germain. And you can go on and on. What a name. Craig uh, Craig Krenzel. Uh, Bear legend, right, Mark? You should go in the Ring of Honor if they had one. <laughs> no Ring of Honor Steve, for the Bears? Troy no, Smith. Not yet. I mean, Troy Smith won a Heisman. It's quite a list that you've named there. I, I'm telling you. like, And so, there's... You know, does Stroud really have anything in common with, you know, like I said, Cardell Jones? I, I mean, really? They played at the same school. Okay, great. Dwayne Haskins? I think now the question becomes, again, is it kind of an either-or flip a coin with Young and Stroud? Is that how the Texans view it? Justin feels pretty good. You know, where you look at the quarterback situation for other teams right now, it'd be Seattle above Indy. What does Arizona do with the Kyler Murray ACL? Uh, we'll get a little bit of a clearer picture on Monday once we know the draft order, but then obviously that'll be the debate for a couple of months on that. To talk more about that and the Colts. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. 
you can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Big picture, Zach Kiefer joins us now. Jake, you have some Kentucky fans coming to the defense of Will Levis saying weapons were not good, lost a lot, the offensive line was awful. I mean, that's like I said, that's exactly like Josh Allen, right? Yeah, I mean, mean, the Josh Allen senior year stats will not impress you. Right, and if you look at Josh Allen when he was... I can't remember. Was Josh Allen a four-year player or three-year player? Yeah, I think four, but I have to double-check that. I think you're right, because he went to JUCO, and then he went to Wyoming for two years. And he had a really good junior year, and then in his senior year, the numbers dropped off, and people were like, whoa, wait a minute. But yet, further examination was like, hey, he lost like three of his top four receivers after his junior year. 56% completion percentage his final year there. Do you remember his accuracy was the big question mark? and But people were like, no, he's got... He's got a cannon, and he's not throwing to anybody. And Yeah, 56%. He only had one game over 250 yards. How about the stat line against Oregon for Josh Allen? 9 of 24, 64 yards, one interception. You know, that would be the game you'd circle as a smaller school guy. you got to perform somewhat decent to impress right. the scouts. 37% completion percentage, a passer rating of 51.6. And now look at him. I, I think it's very important to remember, no matter who you draft, but particularly if you draft Levis, so much of it is going to come down to support around him slash coaching development. I mean, I, th- I feel like that's kind of the forgotten thing is you just make these draft picks, particularly at quarterback, and you just assume, you know, oh, yeah, everything's good now. No, no, no. You, you have to support. and you ha- I mean, look what Peyton Manny walked into. He walked into Tarek Glenn and Marvin Harrison. And then he walked into Edron James in his second season. And he had offensive stability with Tom Moore for years. That's a pretty darn good situation. Do I think Peyton Manning could have figured out some other situations? Sure. But when you walk in and you can grow with your left tackle, your number one wideout, and then Edron comes in year two after you lead the league in interceptions in year one, it's pretty good support. The... We're having the discussion as if it is a foregone conclusion that the Colts will have to use their first pick on a quarterback. But it does feel, does it not, like a foregone conclusion that the Colts are going to have to use their first pick on a quarterback? It does. This thought just popped in my head, and sorry to go down a different path, but Jake, if Jim Harbaugh called Peyton Manning, would Peyton Manning tell him to take the Denver job or the Indy job? Denver. Why? Uh, I do think that Peyton Manning, well, a couple of reasons. Number one, Peyton Manning still lives there. I think that Peyton Manning has a tremendous place in his heart for the Colts. And I think that Peyton Manning has never gotten over the fact that he was released by them. And I don't know that Peyton Manning is, well, I do think that Peyton Manning can be petty or vindictive like that. But I also... What if he was able to separate that? Okay, if he was able to separate that, I think that he would still say 
to go with Denver because even though they're under new ownership that we don't know in its entirety, I think that Peyton Manning would advise Jim Harbaugh that Denver, number one, is a pretty good place to live. Number two, has... And if you think people here are crazy about the Colts, you ain't seen nothing until you've been to Denver the way that they are about the Broncos. And number three, I think it's a more stable franchise. I think that they just, I think Denver, I think Peyton Manning would tell Jim Harbaugh that the Denver Broncos have more, more solidarity within their front office than do the Indianapolis Colts. Talk more about this. Let's head to the Payless Slickers Hotline. Zach Kiefer from The Athletic joins us. Zach, I want to go back to a question that I asked of Jake earlier in the show, and I don't really know the answer to this, and I don't know if you do either, but I, I feel like it's something that might matter or should matter. Are Jeff Saturday and Chris Ballard close? That's a good question. Like, I get I that they kind of tried to hire Saturday previously as a position coach. I'm sure they've had conversations prior to this. But by all accounts, Ballard was not a fan of going that route as the interim coach. Right. Yeah, and it was Ballard who was leading the charge to hire Saturday in the past. Now, this was as an offensive line coach, and there's a big difference. From my understanding, it was Ballard who was pushing that. And you can understand why on a lot of levels, and I don't think Frank was against that either. I think Frank Reich wanted to hire Jeff Saturday as well as an offensive line coach. I don't get the sense that they're super close as of right now. Obviously, this was Jim Irsay's call, and Jim Irsay hired Jeff Saturday because he liked him. And I think Chris Ballard, it has to be, because of the position he's in, a little bit more pragmatic, understanding, like, you know, I need to win. I'm the general manager who's on a hot seat. I need to win, and to win, we need a little bit more of a coach who's prepared, you can understand those reservations. But at this point, does it matter? Because we know who's pulling the strings behind the scenes. Is there, Zach, any possibility that as the volume increases of the of those that were critical of the Jeff Saturday interim hire that would now be even more vociferous to say, see, we told you so, is there any chance that increases Jim Irsay's desire to want to hire him full-time? <laughs> That's a really good question, Jake. Does that backfire, right? For, the, for, the, for those talking stents in the room, does that backfire? Because, and I have a long story coming out tomorrow on The Athletic that's really on this topic. Like, what has changed inside this organization over the last year as Jim Irsay has taken more control behind the scenes from a personnel and, and hiring standpoint, it's his patience has run out and he has started to impose his will, something he said he would never do. And it's, it's the reason, the byproduct, is because he's lost faith and lost trust in those around him. He lost trust in, in Frank Reich the minute Carson Wentz bombed here. Like, no one can tell me otherwise. And I don't know where he stands on Chris Ballard because he's offering these public pleas, and I talked to him a month ago and he said the same thing. He said Chris is coming back. He's been up against it. He's really good in the draft room. But actions speak louder than words. And what he has done over the last year and gone above Chris Ballard in three straight, very, very monumental decisions to move Carson last year. You know, some people believe that Carson would still be here if it wasn't for Ursay. If Frank and Chris had the choice, and look, it makes sense to some degree on paper, as bad as it was the way it ended last year, without, you know, an obvious next step. There was no Matt Ryan in that picture early. 
you, you probably stick with Carson. I don't know. At least you had that debate. But, you know, to put a ball on my point, um, that's what's changed inside the building. And clearly there were people telling him, no, do not do this. People very high up in that building, no, don't do this. He did it anyway. I don't know how you can sell this moving forward because they can say all they want publicly, but what really matters is how they look on Sunday. And this looks like the worst team I've seen in 25 years here. And it looks like they're checked out, and it looks like it's it's going to be a long road to get back to where they want to go. This is not going to just happen and turn in 2023. He's Zach Kiefer. He's with us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline from The Athletic. Zach, I don't know, maybe with Jim Harbaugh's name being thrown around more and more around the NFL, this question becomes a little bit more relevant to me, but how many candidates do you think out there, head coaching candidates out there, have enough clout with Jim Ursay that they could go to Ursay and say, I also want to have personnel control and or I want to pick who is leading that personnel charge. Do you think there's many, if any, candidates out there that Ursay could view in such a light? That's a good question. I, I think he needs to. I think he needs to look at this in a different way than he's looked at his last couple of coaching hires. You know, they've usually gone the coordinator route. You know, going back to, you know, Jim Caldwell was here. He was the hand-picked successor. Chuck Pagano was stunned when he got the offer to come in here and, head, and be the head coach. It was not something he expected. And then Frank Reich obviously was the backup to Josh McDaniels, and both of them were OCs. So that's been their playbook so far. I think they need to blow up that approach and need to think completely differently. And I think, you know, to answer your question, probably Harbaugh and Sean Payton. I don't necessarily think Sean Payton's even on the radar because of what he wants, and he doesn't want to come here. He's made that pretty clear, not specifically about Indianapolis, but he doesn't want to go to a place where there's dysfunction, and that's all the Colts have been for the last three months. Um, with Jim Harbaugh, I, look, I've, I've said this before on JMV, you've got to make him say no. And by that I mean you need to put the full-court press on, and I think you need to tell him, that he can have whatever say he wants here. I think they need a guy like that. They need to change their approach. They need to change their leadership. They need to change the voice at head coach. But that's going to be fascinating because Jim Irsay has always bought into the model of I sit back as the owner, I let my GM manage the team, I let my GM hire the coach, and I let the coach coach the team. Now that's all been blown up in the last couple of months, as we know, does he revert back to that theory? Does, does he sit back? Does he find some patience that he hasn't had? Um, I don't know. And, and where does Jeff Saturday fit in with this? What is Jeff Saturday going to say when he sits down with Jim Mercer in the next couple of weeks and tries to interview for this job? I just what, what can he say about the last seven games that, that makes you take him seriously as a candidate? That's, that's a question Jim Mercer is going to have to answer, and that's a, that's a question Jeff Saturday is going to have to answer you know, Sunday after the game and then into Monday. See, I go back to this, Zach, and maybe I know this will shock you to say that perhaps I overthink this. Since Bill Pullian left Indianapolis, and Bill Pullian was a domineering figure, okay? Yeah. Rightly so. Since he left Indianapolis, Jim Mersey, in terms of people running his franchise and people coaching his franchise, has hired... Chuck Pagano, Ryan Grigson, Chris Ballard, Frank Reich, Jeff Saturday. You could say Josh McDaniels, I guess. For the most part, these are people that then were indebted to Jim Irsay because they were being given their first opportunity. Is he ready to go back to getting big-time personalities whose credibility and resume extends beyond Indianapolis? 
I think he needs to. I think that's a totally fair point, Jake. And and it's kind of what the model I mentioned earlier was. They've they've leaned on this same sort of routine, right? And and this is another thing in here. And, and we know Jim Mercer likes to spend money, and he buys all these guitars that are worth more than all of our houses combined, right? They're going to have to pay. They're going to have to pay a lot of money if they want to go get one of these big fish. And that's another thing that they haven't done. I mean, they, they sort of lowballed Chuck Pagano with his first contract. I don't think Frank Reich was making a lot. Now, these guys made a lot more with their second deal, but that's not how it's going to work if you go get a big fish like Jim Harbaugh. He's going to want a lot of money, and he's going to want a lot of control. And to your point, Jake, that runs counter to how they've done that here the last couple of years. So I think it's time. I think everything you've done in the past has led you to this point, and I think it's time you blow it up. Bill Polian was a huge personality. And he rubbed some people wrong in the building. But you know what he did? He drafted five Hall of Famers. And he built the best team of that decade in terms of 115 total regular season wins. So um, I think it might take a little humility. And it might take Jim Mercer swallowing his pride a little bit and opening up his checkbook. But you need to do something different. You need to do something different because the future of your franchise rests on this next decision on who you bring in. And... It's really important because they're going to draft a quarterback in round one. They're not going to. They're not going to make this too complicated. They're going to get a quarterback. If they bring in a, a, a veteran, it's going to be a bridge situation. They're not going to go get a Derek Carr or something like that. What you do with that quarterback is very, very important. It, it's not just a matter of drafting him and hoping it works out. You need to surround him with a good offensive mind. You need to give him weapons. You need to help him grow. And the lessons of the past for the former number one overall pick, Andrew Luck, and what they did and what they screwed up. And then secondly, what other teams have done with young quarterbacks around the league, I think is very, very helpful to learn. So all of that goes into this decision, and that needs to be at the forefront of Jim Irsay's mind. Who's going to be the next quarterback, and how are we going to have a coach in place and a structure in place that's going to help him? You know, I'm old enough to remember, Zach, and and Peyton Manning is one that probably, I mean, obviously Marino, Elway, there are exceptions, but Manning really, I think, in modern football was kind of the – the front, the pioneer of this, and that is back in the day, to, as the kids say. You know, I'm old enough to remember when, when if you drafted a franchise quarterback, they, a lot of times they would sit for a year, maybe even two. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, now it's you got to throw them to the fire. Are, are, are we? But then again, you look at like a Mahomes, right? That, that that did sit, and you you have quarterbacks that seemingly are in waiting in other places. Are we getting back to that a little bit? And are we maybe? Is there a chance that the Colts could draft somebody that actually they don't throw immediately to the fire, but they let them grow organically? Oh, 100%. I think that's completely completely logical, and I think it's a very strong possibility, and here's why. You know, you're going to get, let's just play the game. They're going to get Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or Will Levis or, or maybe Richardson out of Florida. I don't know. Let's say they, they, they pick fifth. I'm not ruling a trade up if they really like a guy. But which one of those guys is ready to step in and play right away? I'm not sure. Those guys, those guys that can come in and step in and play right away, in my mind, are very rare. Like, that doesn't mean a lot of them get the chance to do it, but I think they're very rare because of, of a couple things. Like, you're seeing this in New York right now. Like, to, to come in and step in and play right away, it's not just the football. You have to get 52 other grown men to believe in you, to believe in you and believe you're not just a kid with a great arm who got a nice signing bonus and was drafted at the top of the draft. Like Zach Wilson, like those guys don't believe in him. His teammates, they, like they don't buy into it. 
And a lot of these guys fall in love with commercials and all that stuff, and that can rub some teammates the wrong way. So a big part of it is putting them in a position to succeed. And I don't think a lot of these guys are ready to just throw them in right away. I mean, Peyton had a million interceptions his rookie year. Now, you saw it in him, but, you know, he's dying for that record to be broken. And so they throw these guys in, and it backfires spectacularly because these guys can't come back from that. And that's a big part of this job as well because things are going to go haywire. It's going to go bad. You're going to throw interceptions. You're going to lose games. A lot of the job is how do you respond from that. And a lot of the best ones have shown us that they can do that. I remember Luck Luck was the best at throwing a terrible interception and then bouncing back and looking great the next couple drives. And you're seeing that on a bigger picture with Trevor Lawrence, who had maybe the worst situation in all of football last year with Urban Meyer. And now, just now, I mean, just now, at the end of his second season, he's really taking fire. So um, it, it, I think it's very rare that a guy's ready to step in right away. I think you know that. I don't think you have to question that. And if you do, it's better It's better to let him sit for a little bit. And I think the Colts are going to have to do that with this next guy. And Zach Kiefer from The Athletic, his latest kind of on the Colts locker room and, and their reaction to what happened with Tamar Hamlin on Monday night. And as Zach said, um, he's got a big piece coming out tomorrow on how the Colts have gotten to this point with the tone of questions we've asked for the last 15 minutes or so. On the flip side of that, Zach, and I know there's a section of the audience that'll probably say, screw it, you're 4-11-1. I don't care at all about any positives. Jake and I took out about 15 minutes earlier in the show, and we threw out some individual Colts that should feel proud about their 2022 seasons. Uh, any names come to mind when I throw that out there for you? Wow, I haven't been asked one of these questions in a yeah, long time. Yeah, I know. Uh huh. How about that? I'm, I'm, I'm carrying the Colts water to 56th Street today, man. We're going positive on that. No, I've been I've been harsh on them the last couple of times after the games, and and this is probably look. We don't get to, we don't get to mention this. I'm with you. Um, you know, Paris Campbell's going to play 17 games this season. That's a huge thing for he was him. The and first I know, name I mentioned, Zach. Yeah, he's he's taken a lot of beatings, and and I'll be credit. I'll give him credit, man. That, that dude stands up and answers every question. He's open and honest about what he's been through. Said yesterday, some of the darkest times of his life when he was in that injury purgatory. And for him to play 17 games is a huge, it means a lot to him. And I'll say that. And look, he's been hamstrung by the quarterback situation like everybody. I can't say enough about DeForest Buckner. He's everything you want in a player and a leader. I mean, that guy's playing injured right now, and I think he's probably playing the best ball of his life. Grover Stewart's had the best season of his career. And this is the other one, and, and I'm not breaking any news here, but the fact that I think the Colts defense has played winning football for most of the year, they've fallen apart lately, but that's probably because they had so much on their plate because the offense can't move the ball. The fact that they've done that without 53 is remarkable, and that's a credit to Dyer Franklin, excuse me, who's never really played this much and has come in, and, and I think he's close to, to, to Darius's single-season t- uh, tackle record, and I mean, where would they be without Dyer Franklin? And he's a leader, and you can see it. And um, I think there's some some brighter days ahead for for Dyer being on good teams. And he's been he's been a voice of that locker room. And he's he's really, in my eyes, uh, proven to be a huge huge asset to the defense. Mark made the point earlier. It's a good one, Mark Dighton, that. Bobby Okereke is kind of in that same mix, right? I mean, the combo. Zach, I think the question, you and I have talked about this before, I know. The question you begin to ask yourself is, and I realize that Okereke is on a contract, but if you can get Zaire Franklin and Bobby Okereke for 70% the cost that, that it would cost you to have Shaquille Leonard, 
but you're getting 90% his production, then you're ahead of the game, aren't you? They've got to examine that, don't they? That's an interesting question. Um, none of them do what, what, what 53 does. None of them do what Darius does when he's healthy. Shaq, when he's healthy. Um, and, and the contract's enormous. And there's a lot of questions about whether he's going to come back, when he's going to come back, and if he's going to be the same player. I don't think Shaq himself, I don't think Chris Ballard himself can tell us right now that they know for a fact he's going to be back, and that's concerning. Um, but he just signed a $100 million deal last August, you know, two August ago. So he's not, he's not a player you can move. And I don't think the Colts want to move him. I think they want to play this out and see how he does. But, look, if there's one position Chris Ballard can draft, it's linebacker. I mean, even going back to Anthony Walker and Zaire Franklin and EJ Speed's been a pretty good player. And, and I forgot to mention Okereke a minute ago. But this, this team, they need, they need studs and they need guys who can make those game-changing plays. They don't have very many of them on offense. They don't have very many on defense this year besides Gilmore and Buck there, and, and obviously they've missed 53 as well. I want to get back to something we started with with Zach Kiefer. Zach Kiefer, the athletic, is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. In analyzing and, and pontificating about Jeff Saturday and Chris Ballard, um, you know, Chris Ballard's under contract. He makes a lot of money, and so I think that speaks for itself on, on his desire, so to speak. You think Jeff Saturday wants to come back and throw his hat in the ring for the permanent head coaching position? Are we just assuming that he wants to, or do you believe that that is the case? Yeah, no, that's totally fair. We've asked him this. KB asked him this a couple weeks ago, and he didn't hesitate, and he came out with a very strong answer. Yeah, I absolutely want to do this. A lot of conviction behind that. Yeah, and, and, and I think KB would probably agree with me. Like When Jeff talks, he's pretty real with us. Like, he, he's, not, he's not fake, he's not giving us cliches, and he's not giving us coach speak. When he doesn't want to answer something like yesterday about what he told the offensive line for watching Thibodeau do that at celebration, he just didn't talk about it. But he didn't, he didn't give us nonsense. And I think Jeff's being pretty convicted when he says he wants to be the coach next year. And I think, I think that's wild, because what about this experience has been enjoyable? I mean, he came here to help, right? He came here because he felt like this team was in a bad spot, and he wanted to pull them out of it. And... They're unquestionably in a much worse spot right now. But to answer your question, Jake, I, I do. I do think he wants to be back as a head coach. I think he wants to try for the permanent gig. And that's going to be really fascinating to see where he stacks up in this coaching carousel as Jim Irsay goes through interviews with other people who are more qualified and are going to have, I mean, right, these interviews are going to be completely different, right? Like these other coaches are going to have completely different pitches, for lack of a better word, than Jeff Saturday, who's only been a head coach for seven games now. Well, back to that quote that Jeff Saturday had in that opening presser. I may be terrible at this, and after eight games, I'll say, God bless you, I'm no good. It's hard to say that that team has not been terrible under him. Granted, thrown into an awful situation, but still, the product has been pretty, pretty terrible in the Jeff Saturday era. Zach, I'll see you in a little bit, man. Thank you. All right, thanks, guys. Again, Zach Kiefer coming up tomorrow full examination on how we've gotten here and knowing Zach that'll be a must read over on The Athletic. I was thinking about this Jake when we were talking Josh Allen or I guess Will Levis CJ Stroud, Bryce Young Bryce Young and CJ Stroud just had unbelievable bowl games in each of their own regards credit to Bryce Young for playing in the bowl game by the way I I, I don't know maybe in today's college football age that's like doing something that five years ago (laughs) it was a given but Will Levis opted out of his bowl game 
you look back at Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold, who were drafted ahead of Josh Allen in 2018. Remember Baker Mayfield planting the flag oh, yeah. at Ohio State yep. and how great that game was for him? Sam Darnold gets USC to the Rose Bowl with a great performance against Stanford. Josh Allen's completing 50% of passes for Wyoming and having a 37% game oh. against Oregon. It's what makes this process so fascinating and so difficult. You know, And again, I think a lot of that is the way that defenses play now and more so the way that, that offenses play, the chasm between the college game and the NFL is greater than it was like when John Elway was coming out. So it, it is a harder evaluation to make at the most important position. It, there is more crapshoot involved now than there was 20 years ago, right. which is fascinating in the world of advanced tape scouting, da-da-da-da-da, but it is more so the case today than it was 25 years ago where the college game is playing checkers and the NFL game is playing chess. Quite the process that'll play out here for the Colts coming up in the next few months. All right, Pop Quiz, in about five minutes, a pair of tickets to see the, is it, 10 and 4 now. Ball State Cardinals coming up. That is correct. Tomorrow night against chirp, chirp. Akron. Michael Lewis is bond. We got to get Michael Lewis in South Bend, to be honest with you. Mike Bragg on Michael Lewis there. Uh, you were just opening <laughs> opening the door. Anybody yeah, yeah, want this yeah, job? Yeah. Wait, that's, Not named Mike Bragg. That, that's kind of where we're at right now with the Notre Dame basketball program. Nonetheless, Ball State and Akron coming up Friday night. Again, a pair of tickets uh, to our pop quiz contestant coming up here in a few. Let's do a morning check in. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. There were four state schools in action last night in college basketball. They went 2-2. Two and two. On the short end, Valpo and Evansville, losing to Northern Iowa and Missouri State, respectively. But Indiana State now 5-0 and in the Missouri Valley. They are 12-4 and overall after a 76-67 win over Illinois State. The Trees have now won three straight. Uh, Cameron Henry and Julian Larry had 18 points apiece. Butler defeated DePaul last night. Seven, that's with an L, not the W. 78-70. The Dogs now 10-6 and six overall. They are 2-3 and three in league play. Eric Hunter had 23. Jaden Taylor, 16 points for Chad Modest. 1,000 points for Eric Hunter in his career. So congrats to the Tinley product on that. Looking ahead to tonight, Jake, I asked it of you earlier. For those that missed it, Indiana-Purdue, one-and-a-half-point underdogs in their respective games. Purdue's at Ohio State. Indiana's at Iowa. You said if I gave you 10 bucks, you'd put it on Indiana? Uh, of Indiana or Purdue? Yeah, I based off the opponent, it sounds like more than anything. Exactly, that's straight. You know, Iowa right now. If there's a time to catch Iowa, it's right now. They've lost three in a row. Their third leading score is not going to be there. Um, and I do think Ohio State's a really good opponent, especially on the road. I think the world of Purdue. But I think that's a tougher game. Curious to see how Purdue responds after Monday night, and then for Indiana, the health of Trace Jackson Davis after he missed a couple of those games there around the Christmas season. Pacers last night in Philly. They lose in overtime. They were down double digits entering the fourth quarter. They come back. They have a four-point lead with 40 seconds to go. And Andrew Nemhard has the basketball. Jake, if you would have just frozen that screen right there, I would have been like, no doubt the Pacers win this game. Yeah. 
I mean, I trust Nemhard as much as I trust Halliburton. I agree. And all of a sudden, some awkward handoff to Halliburton. They get a steal. Philly lays it in. Halliburton comes down, turns it over the next possession. Another easy basket the other way. Pacers lose in overtime. Uh, Benedict Matherin and Buddy Heald were big, big pieces of the Pacers getting back into that game. But their four-game win streak snapped. No Joel Embiid, by the way, for Philly. I'm trying to think of what else there is to talk about. I think Kenny Moore is on injured reserve. That was yeah. probably the most Colts newsy item of yesterday. Uh, I guess actually just to update, really no update, uh, which is probably at this point good news in terms of the health of DeMar Hamlin and Buffalo. Uh, t- to loosely paraphrase a number of different people who have updated, that includes both his marketing agent, um, that includes family members, and then the Buffalo Bills with a statement, he is showing progress um, but nothing definitive in terms of exactly what that progress is, but he is still in intensive care and in critical condition in the hospital in Cincinnati. Sounds like Week 18 will unfold how the schedule looks right now. Uh, Bills-Bengals, that resumption of the game seems a bit unlikely, so go off win percentages to slot the seven teams in the AFC and obviously the NFC as well. We'll, we'll keep you posted on if there's anything Hamlin related. Um, sounds like his dad spoke to the Bills team yesterday via Zoom. Bills players were very appreciative of hearing from someone so close to DeMar Hamlin. Uh, but yeah, small steps in the right direction on that front. Alright, it's Pop Quiz time. 317-239-1070. As we said, a pair of tickets to see the Ball State Cardinals take on the Akron Zips tomorrow night from more than Arena along with Jiffy Lube Oil. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Change. Give us a ring. Pop quiz next. Quiz with Kevin and Query, brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. Scotty, how are we looking for today's pop quiz? Pretty tough, the description from Scotty J. Um, and Scott Johnston lingo, I'm shocked we have three people still on the line. What, make, what, what, what makes you determine why you want to make it tougher for people? Your mood or just? I, I just whip up the questions. I don't. Well, and then you're like, that's a doozy. The, oh, qui- well. the quiz comes to Scotty. Scotty doesn't, that's right. you know, yeah. go to the quiz. Um, looking at the questions, I can see why Scotty said that. I've act- Number five, I've actually been to that park, mm-hmm. not stadium park. Yes. Uh, beautiful down there in that neck of the woods. Um, I haven't looked at it yet. Is your mic I, on? I'm sorry, I haven't no, looked at it. On. How many times a show do you think that happens? Quite often. I, I don't. I I know how to do one thing: talk into a microphone. Well, you just failed. <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't. I don't. I don't control the buttons. Watch that whole thing. I never touch the buttons. That's. I'm yes, blaming you, you for that. No, I don't think that's right. You and Mark have had a bit of a contentious 24 hours. Boy, he went after me in the yeah, text. There was a group well, text. There was a word that I didn't want Rosie to see on the phone yesterday <laughs> from Uncle Jake. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> I, and I if I'm not it. mistaken, you and any apology, were you in the wrong for no, that? I, no, you I was were not. wrong. 
No, I don't think so. Oh. The, I, all I know is one time I had a, a nick, I had a paper cut, and I was bleeding. Uh-huh. And and I mean, it was it was things were getting dicey. I was getting lightheaded, and Mark on the air said to me with great concern about my um, blood thin induced hemorrhaging. He said, and I quote, "Get your life together." <laughs> I did get you a napkin, though. <laughs> well, thanks. I went to yeah, the first aid kit. Fa- it was out of stock, so I grabbed you a napkin. Yeah, I didn't think I'd side with Jake on this one, but there was that time where Mark was, I believe, pleased that my grandma was no longer here. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> She's... I did that. That is a misinterpretation, my friend. I recall that, I recall that yeah. as well, uh-huh. yes. Again, burial site, either 32 for Edrin or 88 for Marvin, <laughs> for those that forget the story. And Your then, exact quote was, she was dead serious. And I said, was that a play on words? And you said, what? And I was just saying, I was like, you're talking about graviyards. He said, dead serious. The audio does not lie. I know it's somewhere in the archives that we I've can dig it. up. I've got it here. I'll find it. Uh, Scotty, oh, dig it up, he says. Yeah, dig okay, it up. Okay, there we go. That's Sc- good. Scotty calls us one of the tough for pop quizzes in a while. Jake, a number... Uh, what do we got? Now we got four. One through four. We'll go with two. Tua. Kyle. Kyle. Yep. What's up, Kyle? How's it going? Kyle, Happy New Year, man. Are you a New Year resolution human being? Um, I'd have to say no, because every time I set something, it never works out. I, oh. I totally hear you there. You should do the opposite, then. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> Kyle, how old a fella are you? I'll be 37 uh, the ninth. Oh, nice. You, Happy okay. early birthday, man. Any plans? Um, soak up some sports. That's about it. I thought he said smoke up some sports. <laughs> and I was like, too. well, Kyle. Well, okay. That's a couple well, shops so around town. Nothing wrong with that. There. So your high school graduating class of what, 03, somewhere in there? No, 04? Do we lose Kyle? No, he's there. Hold 2004. On. 2004? Uh, yep. And, and what high school was that? Ron Colley. Ron Colley, okay. And they're no longer the Rebels, right? Aren't they the Royals now? Is that right? Yeah, correct. Pretty good okay. football program when you were there. Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, Bruce Ifree's coach. Mm-hmm. Did you play there? Uh, yes, I did. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right, Kyle, uh, you ready for question number one? Would you like for me, that would be Jake, to lead you off, or would you choose Kevin for question number one? So, Jake. All right. Here we go. Question number one. The top-ranked Purdue Boilermakers travel to Columbus to face number 24 Ohio State tonight. These two teams have played 183 times, and one of them has 92 wins. The other has 91. Uh, which one leads the all-time series? Okay. Kyle, I always felt like when Ron Colley played football, they would just run a pitch to the right, and the quarterback would lead block. Am I accurate on that? I would say so. It was a very popular play for Ron Collie. It was very effective as well. Uh, you want another guess at number one, by the way? Uh, sure. Uh, let's go to Ohio State. Okay. Ohio State it is. All right, number two. Which team currently owns the worst record in the NBA? Rockets, Pistons, Hornets, or Spurs? The Pacers will see this team on Sunday. Rockets. Uh, let's go with uh, Spurs. Okay. Question number three. There have been six NBA players to score 55 or more points in a game this season, already the most in league history. Which of the following guys that I'm about to name does not have a 55-point game this season? Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis, Devin Booker, or Nikola Jokic? Uh, Joel Embiid. 
Go with Devin Booker. Okay. Yes. Number four. Some really interesting stats here, Scotty, in this pop quiz. Number four. On this day in 1964, the San Diego Chargers recorded the largest blowout in the history of the American League football championship game. Who did the Chargers beat 51 to 10? And Colts fans were rejoicing. Houston Oilers, Boston Patriots, Buffalo Bills, or New York Jets? People think they should go back to the helmets with this dude on the side. Okay. Uh, Which stadium hosted the most American Football League championship games and my understanding is was the favorite of a fictional boxer? Uh, Balboa Stadium in San Diego, Jefferson Stadium in Houston, the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum, or the War Memorial Stadium in Buffalo? What was the first one? Balboa Stadium in San Diego. Let's go with Balboa Stadium in San Diego. Yeah, the Balboa Park, beautiful there in the San Diego area. All right, let's see how Kyle, the former Ron Colley Rebel, did. The top-ranked Purdue Boilermakers traveled to Columbus to face uh, face number 24 Ohio State tonight. The leader in the head-to-head series, 92-91, to Jake. Buckeyes, indeed correct. Uh, question number two. Yes! Which team currently owns the worst record in the NBA? The Houston Rockets are 10-28. That's 26%. The Detroit Pistons are 11 and 30. That's 27% if you round up. The San Antonio Spurs are 12 and 26. That's 31% if you round up. And the team that is right now in the running for Victor Webinyama, or however you say his name, the worst record of the league at 10 and 29, the Charlotte Hornets. Nikola Jokic, number three, the Boston Patriots, and Balboa Stadium. You know, I, uh, I see those records, and I think I'm really glad that that's not the Pacers record for someone that has a bet that needs them to win 30 games. Yeah, boy, you're not kidding. And those are all teams we probably expected to be in that range. Certainly Houston, Detroit, and San Antonio. Maybe not as much Detroit. Definitely Houston and San Antonio. That Purdue stat is wild to me, Scotty. Did you see that, Jake? So Scotty points out here, Ohio State leads the head-to-head series 92-91. to They are the only Big Ten team with a better record head-to-head with Purdue, 500 or better. So if Purdue wins tonight, there will not be a team in the conference with an above 500 record against them. That's amazing. Now, does that include Nebraska? Because or like one of them who they've only played a handful of times. Say it doesn't. I mean, hell, Rutgers is probably. Yeah, or Rutgers. Five, yeah. Six. So like, did I miss this? But like, Purdue was Purdue like unreal in basketball from like nineteen thirty two yeah, to forty one. Well, Piggy Lambert was their coach, and he was a legendary coach. Obviously, John Wooden played at Purdue. They were the national champions when Wooden was there. Um, I mean, obviously, I know they were a very good program under right. Katie, but six. you know, Gene Katie also is the. Gene Cady was the only coach in the Big Ten to finish with an above 500 mark against Bob Knight, head-to-head. Really? Yep. He was one game in front of him. Uh, Evan wanted us to chat about something you brought up earlier. Carson Steele, the Ball State running back who had an unbelievable sophomore season, uh, transferred to UCLA? Yeah, and I had heard Michigan originally, but you know, here's a guy from Center Grove that just – I think the thing that's the most impressive about him, I don't know that he has, and maybe I'm wrong in this, it's not necessarily breakaway speed with him that is so impressive as much as his ability to run after contact is really impressive. Like, And I don't get into all the cybermetrics of that stuff, but 
But in his case, somebody had sent me a thing. Something like 60% of his yards were, were tabulated after he had been contacted first. His center of gravity, his strength. Um, he was a Mac hero. Dude. Yeah, I mean, he was a great player at Ball State. He, he's got some locks on him. Yeah. He, um, he's got some hay. He'll fit in well looking like that at UCLA. Uh, you know, I think people naturally think like, well, he's going to UCLA and he probably won't get a lot of rest. I, I don't know, man. I think Chip Kelly. Yeah, they, they may use him. I mean, he may he may be a player out there. You know, you obviously understand his reasoning for transfer, but man, you just feel bad for these mid-major programs to where the best player just leaves. I'll tell you right now, if... If at any point I ever had an opportunity to be a student athlete at UCLA, I mean, that campus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you'd probably last 48 hours. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wouldn't. A little different than Lawrence atmosphere. When we drive from Bel Air over to the Rose Bowl to play the game, it'd be like, where is Quarry? I got lost on the Sunset Strip in between the two. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't. I know we're up against it, but I'll just sneak this in. The whole NIL transfer portal for the mid-major schools, you could probably look at it two ways. One is this case, Ball State losing their best player. The reverse of it is you got a guy at Notre Dame or, Indi- or, or Ohio State that's not playing the transfers to Ball State. Yeah, that's true. You know, So I'm sure you can look at it one of two ways. All right, we'll do one final time here, Kevin Quay. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. It's not often I ask for fantasy football advice because, frankly, who cares? But whatever. We've ended the show with more obscure topics, so here we are. <laughs> uh, I'm in a league with some buddies. Was fortunate to be in the championship game. Wait, this league's still going on in week 18? That's a red flag. No, no, no. I'm talking about this past week. Okay. Fortunate to be in the championship game. Um, When the Bills and Bengals game was stopped on Monday night, I had a 22-point lead. You know how they do the projected points? Correct. I was projected to lose by eight, though. He had Joe Burrow. Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon, heavy Bengals team. I had Stephon Diggs still left in the game. How should we handle the winner? Okay, here's what you do. I should say, I think we've decided what we're going to do, but some people in the league disagree with how we handled it. What I would do is simply take the average of the last five games of all of the players involved and then plug the average in as if that was their performance in the game and see who won. Should we take their Week 18 output and put that in? That's not bad. We ended up splitting the pot. Okay. Is that soft? No. I think that makes sense. Again, I had had a 22-point lead but was projected to lose by 8. Have you ever done, speaking of... Sharing the financial pot with buddies. I've only done this once. I'm not saying, hopefully, it's not illegal. Have you ever gone to a baseball game and played the dollar bill home run challenge? No. Fill me in. You take a cup. Say you got, say it's the three of us. Well, Scotty's here too, the four of us. 
So we go to a Reds game. You take a, a you know, a, like a moose cup, and at the beginning of each half inning, so you've got to bring with you $18. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you've got to bring more than that, but at the beginning of each half inning, every guy puts a dollar in the cup. And with each batter, you pass the cup. And if you're holding the cup when someone hits a home run, you get all the money. And then everybody throws another dollar in. I was always game. wondering why you indie star guys always sat in the upper deck at the <laughs> Indians games. <laughs> Can't be doing that behind home plate there. People are going to be looking at you. That is quite the game. That is that's a fun one. That's degenerate. Yeah. To be honest. I, I did it at a bachelor party. And that's I'm like gonna, a little credit card roulette. I'm not going to say any names. I did it at a Cubs game at a bachelor party. And at the time, I was really scrapping to make ends meet. And so I was really hoping that I'd have the cup when somebody hit a home run. And at one point, I think I, I did. It, I think Sosa hit one. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And it was substantial. And they're like, oh, it's a bachelor party. you got to give the money to the bachelor. Like, if what? you had a bachelor party, where would you go? Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> at my age, well, I don't know. Doesn't the best man put that together? Yeah, but yeah, we'll get uh, who'd you? What was the fake name you brought up earlier? Tom Savage. <laughs> yeah, get him. Yeah, in. We'll get, to call it, he's yeah. not showing up. It will, will it be him or Byron. <laughs> it's probably by committee at this point, right? Where I are mean, you going? Are you going Vegas? I, the nah, I'm not a I'm not a bachelor party guy per se. But my guess is that all of my buddies, because they're all married and miserable, are going to use my bachelor party Jeez. for a reason to get out for the weekend. <laughs> they're all like, "Ah, oh, sweet, we're taking your bachelor party <laughs> to New Zealand. Why New Zealand? Because Marcus lives there. No, I hope a lot of Jake's friends, significant others, are tuning in right yeah. here to round it out." <laughs> Jake said you're miserable. Well, Mrs. Savage <laughs> tuning in from Sioux Falls right now probably isn't too fond of that. Tom, Tom's divorced. <laughs> there you go. Say no more. Yeah. You know. By the way, did you tell me, speaking of, of couples, did you tell me that the U.S. soccer team, there's some controversy no, amongst buddies? A, a bachelor and best man formerly in their past lives, and now they're upset yeah, about Yeah, let me see if time. I can explain this here in about 90 seconds. Okay, Greg Bearhalter, U.S. soccer manager, him and Claudia Reyna, great friends growing up as players on the U.S. national team back in the day. Claudia, and therefore great friends, their wives are great friends, so they kind of grow up together as families. Claudia has a child named Gio. Gio plays for Greg Bearhalter on the recent U.S. men's national team in the World Cup. Gio, intriguing talent, does not get in for the U.S. men's national team. There are a lot of questions about that. I think Greg Rakestraw talked about that with us on his Friday appearances. It comes out that Greg and Gio had a little bit of a dispute in practice. Well, you know, when, when not too happy about you know whatever his work ethic, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Mrs. Reyna decides to bring up a story that in 1991, Greg Bearhalter kicked his then-girlfriend in the leg outside of some establishment. So Greg has to release a statement explaining what happened in 1991 and why him and his then-girlfriend, basically a, a tell-all of how they broke up for a few months after that, he went and saw you know, a therapist, this and that, they got back together eventually, They've lived and been married together for now 25 years, and he is now taking a leave of absence, or maybe U.S. Soccer told him to take a leave of absence while they're looking into this. And this comes down to a kid's playing time. 
And as someone tweeted yesterday, does this not define youth sports, particularly soccer in America? Parent not happy because kid isn't playing. So let me expose the head coach. And ruin a friendship in the process. Don't condone kicking anyone, particularly one of the opposite sex. Having said that, 1991 looks like Greg and Mrs. Bearhalter have it handled pretty well. Um, you want to know why people are why it's becoming harder and harder to find people to coach your kids or officiate them? Yeah, say no more. There you go. Right? You ever heard a mound ball? My father-in-law was just texting me about it. Uh, Alma Joy ball. I played once. Between innings, when defense is running off oh, the yeah, field, yeah. they always throw the ball to the pitchers. If it stays in the dirt, if you win the money. Correct. If it rolls off of the mound, yeah. Oh yeah, that's a big one. Boy, that's great. Say no more, Mike Lovers. There you go. All right, we'll talk to you tomorrow. See you guys.